Welcome to GWC Podcast number 315, recorded March 10th, 2012. In this episode, we continue our Mass Effect discussion with Voice of Samara, Maggie Baird, and FemShep herself, Jennifer Hale. But first, your hosts, three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, crap ass. And with me, Audra Hester. If I had a nickel for every time I got boned at the Eye of Jupiter, man. And Sean O'Hara. <laughs> I shall fart <laughs> Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say or, hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just holler at your MP3 player. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, extension 701. And leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show. Better yet, you can join the GWC community, a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi, and watching, reading, and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24-7 over on galacticwatercooler.com, our website, blog, and forum. GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah. The cast before. Yes. The yeah, actually. We the band back together. <laughs> Juan is here with us. The penultimate cast. In studio. For the, yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome and unusual. Yeah. Too unusual. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure I'm entirely here yet. <laughs> <laughs> we thought about having him Skype in from downstairs. Just so, <laughs> so, it, sounded right. so yeah. that it would feel more natural. He sounds a little too clear. There's no Skype distortion. What's wrong? <laughs> Something is amiss. He's Wadru and he knows we'll it. We'll just pull a long ass cable out into the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's awesome. This is this is a lot of fun. And just for those who are curious, no, you haven't downloaded Modern Geek. This is the GWC uh, cast. They or, might have, or F this week, or <laughs> <laughs> they might have noticed from the like uh, minute and a half intro. I got a short. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually t- two full minutes long. Yeah. I'm afraid we're gonna wow. have we're gonna have to fix is that. Is it really? Yeah, I would yeah, know because I, I never listen. I, to when I listen, to I go skip thirty, skip thirty, skip thirty, skip thirty. <laughs> I don't listen to our cast, so I don't. Womp womp. But yeah, I mean, and and not only is one here. I don't here, listen to it. I experience it. That's right. <laughs> I, I've heard every single cast we've done. That's right. <laughs> at least once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I was there at the beginning, man. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it really was the middle. It was like the yeah. middle. I was I experiencing know. GWC before it was cool to experience GWC. <laughs> that's true. GWC hipster. Yeah. My I, uh, little purple hood. Like the cat, you know, the hipster cat. <laughs> So yeah, this is the uh, last, sadly, in our Mass Effect arc, and it is. yeah, it's way too short. 
there's way too much to talk about. So, but uh, what is not sad is the content we've got. Holy oh, crap! Yeah, we have. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. We have a couple of great interviews for you, uh, which you heard in the intro in the massive two minute intro, <laughs> and uh, and then also, um, you know, wow, we're it's meetup time. It is. I mean, that's it. Next week is meetup. You're going to hear GWC uh, live if you want Friday of next week. Oh, yeah. And, of course, it'll come out normally as well. So uh, it will probably be longer than usual. It tends to do that when we have a group full of friends and it's too fun to quit. Oh, yeah. You know, yesterday, Juan and I were talking about how it feels like the first meetup and the second meetup there was all this build up time where we could get like really excited and think about it for, you know, each oh, day yeah, and countdown. And this year it's just like, you know, work, 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 bam, the meetups here. Yeah. And we're like, holy crap. And it's awesome. Oh, yeah. But the people on Twitter are getting me all excited. You know, like I got the, this message from a set yesterday and it's like, you know, so many days and I'm going to be there. And then evolution girls like, you know, my vacation's almost about to start. And everyone's like flipping out on, on Twitter. And I'm like, yes. So nice. I, I get my, my, my excitement is sort of ramping up now. It helps that I'm on break. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because they, they've already started arriving. With the arrival of Juan, who is sort of the, the signpost of the meetup. He's the harbinger of the meetup. <laughs> yeah, he's the, har- he's the meetup harbinger. When he arrives, it's it's sort of like the, the prior from uh, of uh, like uh, Stargate. You know? Hallowed are the meetups. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is awful. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that is awesome. Sir. Speaking of speaking of people that would be fun to shoot. <laughs> no, they do way better than that in Stargate. They just they just take away their god. Yeah. <laughs> take yeah. that, you docile bastard. <laughs> <laughs> they show them the truth and they're like Oh, <laughs> they don't really only just take away the gods for real. They yeah. take them away in their heart too. Yeah, exactly. Oh. We we will now cleanse you of everything you believe. <laughs> now here's some porn, and is it, they, <laughs> and they deserved it of all of exactly. all people. Did we just destroy an Ori ship? I know that was one of my ship? favorite moments. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Best use of the indeed ever. <laughs> so, so Nora, I don't know. The best use was uh, was was uh, on the mid station. What was that with the the crossover episode? Oh, with uh, with Ronan and yeah. Tilk. Ronan, indeed. <laughs> like, yeah. Ronan, yeah. Ronan you, you, making you say fun. that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I Ronan. had not considered that, <laughs> <laughs> or I had not noticed. Or something. I love. I had not Ronan. considered that, dude. That was quality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still have this dream that one day I'll be able to uh, cosplay as Taylor, but I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, you know? Don't have a stick you can break in half? Don't have a big enough tan? Don't have a six pack. That's <laughs> <laughs> I still got a little muffin top going on. So <laughs> Taylor has more abs than most most professional lifting men that I know. I yeah, mean, I may not be able to get it to that. She is so ripped, it's not even funny. I mean, that, that chick was a gym rat for years years and years actually and years. you know i'll just yeah. get one of those like plastic cover thing with the abs drawn on it like a little kid's batman costume <laughs> well, actually, like, uh, just draw them on in pencil yeah. oh yeah like no just draw, just draw on the shading <laughs> <laughs> airbrush, on, airbrush <laughs> on the shading yeah, Take, like brown eyeshadow oh yeah you know? yeah th- not fine. that this is fit smart but the sad thing is is that abs don't come from exercise they come from eating it's 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 messed up. You're right. This isn't Fitzmart. <laughs> You're right. 
Okay, what he means so, by that is not eating to get them, but nutrition that will cause your body fat to go down so yeah. that they can mm, be revealed. It's absurd. It yeah. has to. Yeah, whatever. I can do it faster it with an airbrush. <laughs> <laughs> no argument. <laughs> I can have a cheeseburger and have six well, packs. Cool is right I, now. I could probably do it faster with an airbrush. <laughs> I'll, I'll dress up as Taylor, and then you can airbrush me as the Taylor oh, cosplayer. Be fine. Yeah, then we can put that out on Twitter and tell everyone I did it, and then really I'll cosplay as Guinan so no one has to see. <laughs> see? It's awesome. Or an you know, aura. Gynan, I'll be an Ori priest. For Guinan, all you need is a hat. The rest, it's like, psh, everybody knows it's Guinan. I tend bar, and I listen. <laughs> and I wear funny hats. <laughs> we have a three-foot gun behind the bar. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that is a bartender what you want to hang out that with. Yeah, hat, don't, don't forget, that's Whoopi freaking Goldberg there, you know, and she's, you know. She wouldn't cut the dreads, so they're like, God, we got to put them somewhere. I just, yeah. <laughs> is that true? Hat. Get a big hat. <laughs> is that true? Is that what? They're like, no. I, no, I don't know. The oh, thing. <laughs> you can cut the dreads or you can wear this plate hat. She I will never wear the go hat. for it. I'll wear the hat. You Damn look like it. a Damn bird it. who swallowed a plate. <laughs> Do you have something in a turkey platter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. No, I mean like a, a 40 pound turkey. turkey platter would be good. I, I like that. <laughs> no, like Whoville turkey. <laughs> I just watched the episode last night, as a matter of fact, because I was I was uh, eating, eating dinner with Squeak and Shannon, and it came on where the one where Roe is, is, oh. uh, awesome. comes in, and, and they're they're doing the conspiracy, and she's Roe's like, who are you? I'm Guinan. I tend to bar and I listen. You know, and she oh, yeah, says, she says like, it twice. Yeah, she, she says it twice and Rose like, whatever. That's a good episode. <laughs> that is a great episode. And I would like to restate for the record that Nitz and Rose is hot. I, I love that. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think it's the eyebrows. Aren't I, I, all I, Bajoran chicks kind of hot? No, Kai Wynn is not hot at oh, all. Uh, Kai Wynn does not count as a chick, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the monk who said that the Dominion must be opposed and then hanged herself? That's not, that's not hot. <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, you guys can come up with some real screwed up examples. <laughs> the woman whose tongue was cut out, I Chuck guess. Was- <laughs> Chuck was like, the the majority of women thing was working for me, too. You asshole. Talking. No, I'm just thinking, wow, you know. <laughs> you guys can screw up any fantasy, I swear. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you well, Bajoran chicks in Starfleet. How's that? Working with Starfleet. Well, there's like Bajoran chicks in uniform. <laughs> I'm trying. I... Uh, Oh, I'm sure that, I could come up with one. Might, that might be. That might, might work. That might work. Because I mean, yeah, yeah I can't you've, come you've up got with the, one. Yeah. the 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 one that uh, the the ensign that went on the suicide mission, yeah. the next gen. Yeah, she you've was got hot. The, the scatterbrain <laughs> from Voyager. Hot. You've got the Bajoran engineer assassin girl. This is uh, from Deep Space is awesome. Nine. I don't remember her. Uh, she was the one that worked for with O'Brien, with O'Brien? for like two or three episodes. Oh, and then tried to kill Barile. Okay. Okay. Yep. Hot. I think it was Baral. Yeah. Yeah. Hot. Baral Everyone's trying to kill Baral. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone tried to kill Even Baral. the audience. <laughs> Baral killed the I show. I tried to kill Baral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to kill Baral right now. <laughs> That'd be a great t-shirt. <laughs> I tried to kill Baral. You know what I couldn't stand? I like Elvis those... my TV because the... I was like... You what? Yeah, I shot my TV. Oh. Yeah. Doesn't quite work. I just, I couldn't handle the, the two little Mr. lines. Mr. do you intend to blast a hole in the viewer? <laughs> the, the two little lines yes. around his mouth were just, the creases were too distinct. I couldn't handle it. Yeah, that's Hunter what was like, it for I me. Just, no, he, he looked like the Joker without his makeup or something. Hunter was like, I just wanted to kill him. Just because of the creases on his face. <laughs> the fact that he was were... a complete douche might have had something to do with it as well. Well, that too, secondarily. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so. How does it feel to assemble Ramblers Anonymous, sir? <laughs> no, it's great, actually. It's going to be even more fun next week. I got I to tell you. Jack's like shifting around. In fact, I suggest that we ditch the news this week because we, we you know, with, we've got so much interview and everything. We don't have that much time. We ought to just spend it having a good time here. You guys down with that? Let's sure. do it. Ramble awesome. on. Speaking of, anybody got any closing from Mass Effect 2? We didn't get because we barely got into Mass Effect 2 Mass last Effect week. Two. You know, more than we could possibly. She just had to have it. You know? <laughs> and now. Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Two more Mass Effect 2 and all this crap that we're going to keep talking about. Maybe talk about Mass Effect 3 a little bit time. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> there you go. It sounded more like Scooby-Doo than a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to talk about Mass Effect. Actually, we, we had this really funny discussion when we were setting up. Uh, Juan and uh, and Sean and I were talking about it, and they, and and uh, we've we've decided to be very carefully spoiler free for this podcast. So if you haven't played three yet and you're worried, you can listen on. We're not going to do that. But yeah, if they cut me off in the middle of a sentence, it's because I'm being bad. Yeah, if you hear this, <laughs> you know it's because Sean was a jackass I, and was was yeah, don't edit it out. Just beep it out. There'll be minutes of the podcast. Just to- <laughs> This is People a test really, of the emergency Sean. spoiler system. I thought it was great. What? Damn it, John. No, but uh, yeah, one of the things that is is already in the news and everything is the fact that so many of of the decisions they really tried hard in three to take all of the decisions that you could possibly make in one and two that they recorded and make them count for something. Oh in yeah, three. yeah. So we were kicking around, you know, and of course everybody knows that the general storyline it's this is in the trailer of it and on the box, you know, it's kind of hard if you look at the picture on the box. You, you've been spoiled I played the game the without looking at the box. It's, a, it's about Shepard. Okay. <laughs> Damn it, you spoiled me. No, but <laughs> but yeah, Shepard, you know, obviously the Reapers are arriving and and this is about saving humanity and the universe from the Reapers. So we were we were kidding about how essentially, you know, uh who's the guy? I can't Conrad even, Werner. I can't remember his name from <laughs> Three That's how important it is. Yeah. yeah, in Mass Effect 1 and in 2 as well. Conrad Werner shows up. Yeah, he shows up, up in 2. And and he's this guy, you remember Andre? As a Spectre. <laughs> he has like like replica and oh, seven armor. Oh yeah, he's cosplaying. He's cosplaying. He's cosplaying, <laughs> he's cosplaying yeah. Shepard. Yeah. No, but in one he shows up. He's like, man, I really want to be a soldier and blah blah oh, blah. Yeah. And you can kind of, you know, you can tell him to That's piss right. off. Or you can be nice to him. Check You're this out. Younger. Look how long it took to get the gloss on this paper mache. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was cute. Check I remember it. that. And then he shows up, and so we're like, we're like, and then at the end of three, this is not a spoiler. We're making this crap <laughs> up, people. At the end of three, it turns out that. Conrad Werner was the key to saving humanity from the universe from the Reapers. And then and then we started just like brainstorming of all the various decisions that could possibly be like like uh, I think my favorite of all was was the one that well, you could have saved humanity in the universe if only you had had a spider monkey, you know, or whatever that was, <laughs> a space monkey. Space monkey. Space monkey, yeah. From yeah. the first, you remember the, the, the... So, you saw Streamer out from the beginning then, did you? <laughs> you remember the, the mission in one where you have to, like, you have to, like, retrieve those boxes well, without you have to, killing the... Yeah, you have to retrieve the, the data disk or, or module, the data module. Yeah. And, and it's, mm. the there's uh, space monkeys have stolen it. <laughs> and so you have to roll around without killing space monkeys. Remember, because if you kill, like, one space monkey... Then the universe the mission, ends in Mass Effect 3. <laughs> <laughs> and that one space monkey you killed, that was the nibbler of their generation. <laughs> Silence! 
<laughs> and, and then, of course, uh, Juan and, and Sean are joking about how, you know, it would be like how it would fit into the gameplay and everything. So anyway, it's pretty funny. Yeah, you get uh, just just like go go and, and get like a super space monkey and like give him a spacesuit and a gun and send him after like, the Reapers. Yeah, send him out like do it like Transformers, you know, like <laughs> you know how in like Transformers, the original animated movie, they drop Grimlock out on uh, a uh the hangar and say Grimlock destroyed Devastator and they just drop a Grimlock like a bomb space monkey. just drop a sp- space monkey kill that reaper <laughs> <He's a king. laughs> Grimlock flying through space like a boss you know <laughs> Grimlock loves space travel <laughs> I just think it would be awesome if you go it's to like one of those remote star systems and you do the scan and you find the planet of monkeys they they seem to recognize you Shepard <laughs> and then suddenly in, in your war room you have like space monkey one unit of space monkeys yeah. But you know what? In three, you can have a space monkey on your crew, and in fact, you but you have to but you have to completely level up his poo throwing skill. <laughs> what's, what's the name of your What's the name of your like your first officer? Oh, thank you. I thought you said nipple trader. <laughs> no, that's that's what I would be in the Mass Effect universe. Well, what's There's a whole other merchant in the cargo bay now. Longer. <laughs> no, in, in Mass Effect One, what's the name of your first officer who gets killed? Uh, Jenkins. Yeah, Jenkins. No. Yeah, oh, the first yeah. officer. The, the oh, the Presley. We got Presley, Presley. Presley. Yeah, Presley. Yeah. By the way, yeah, we got sixteen voicemails. Uh, oh, I forgot to send us, in a voicemail. But guys, us, it's not Williams. It's, it's Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah, aware yes. of that. So cool. yeah. I was Thank screaming. You. I was screaming at my podcast. Yeah. Everybody was. <laughs> it's not. It's Jenkins. Damn it. Yeah, we don't have to. be. Oh yeah, uh, Williams is Ashley. Right? Yeah. The yeah. whole point is. We don't remember him. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the point we were trying to make. Linus, we almost forgetting your name. Linus. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, that's it. I mean, sir, not appearing yeah. in this. We movie. don't claim to be accurate. Actually, that's it in three. It's like you know, you could have saved humanity if if Jenkins had survived. Had survived, yeah. <laughs> His DNA is what was required to defeat what the Reapers. What we need now is the DNA of Jenkins. And you're like, who? Crap! Who buried him on Prime? Who? Damn it! <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's DLC. You have to you have to truck back to. Oh, I, I left his pile of bones near one of those radio towers. <laughs> <laughs> With his beret, yeah. I told Linko not to not to bury him. It's my bad. You got to go find him now. <laughs> Space like, monkeys have carried him off. Man, <laughs> I left him. I left his remains in Caden's locker. Yeah, the other one was. Uh, uh, Keepers actually run the universe, and they just... Oh, uh, that was great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about how, you know, big reveals at the end, again, we're making these oh, up, people. Oh, top 10, like, Mass no. Effect 3 reveals. Oh, we were just pulling them out of yeah. our butt, pretty much, and one of them was, like, the Keepers are actually the overlords of the universe, <laughs> and 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 the Citadel is sort of like a... They built it as a hobby. It's sort of like a, you know, like a... An ant farm. An ant farm, exactly, you know? <laughs> They're like, yeah, you guys, we built this thing, and you guys keep coming here and, like, doing all this crazy crap, and we thought it was kind of fun to watch so we keep it maintained and so everything so you can do it. You, you get too many people on a citadel they start producing too much trash and we got to bring in the reapers to clean them out no the hanar are really gods who who created the all of us. at the end you discover the hanar were right yeah. Yeah. Actually like, i'm sorry the hanar were right i was theorizing it'd be good to have the hanar as a team member and that would be the one that like goes in and like bores the the, the reapers to death. that's his biotic power it's like would you like to hear about let me tell Kindlers? you about being Kindlers. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it just runs up in front of a reaper. This one would like to out. tell you about the reapers. The reapers run away. Oh, about the, the kindlers. Reapers are like, I gave it the office. Okay, just like, <laughs> it'd be funny to see the reaper just crawl up on him and be like, 
Okay, I love that sound. I know it's, it's like great. this is why I have five point one. The whole room shakes. <laughs> no, that'd be awesome if that's how the, how the Hanars saved the universe. Was that the Reapers didn't want to deal with their like pro- proselytizing? They, they, they <laughs> yeah, never they, come back because they just pretend they're not home. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> turn around, turn around, turn around. The Reapers Reaper, are like, good, we're good. these guys are like the Jehovah's Witnesses of the Citadel, man. I don't want to deal with them. <laughs> oh, God, it's the Hanar. Are they still around? So, you know what we got to definitely talk about with two, though, that we didn't get to last week is is the whole end run and, and hanging on to your, your crew or not. Mm, you yeah. know, one thing I liked, I mean, we did talk about the, the loyalty missions and how, how the loyalty missions are so special in terms of like, uh, and, and actually, you know, I, we should, uh, we should do the, you know, maybe we should put the interviews in here so that we can, uh, we can come back to them and refer to them as well. That'd be awesome. We should do that. Yeah. We're real organized today. You can <laughs> it's tell. It's amateur hour at the whole house. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show. Uh, I love that show. They should have done more of that. Yeah. Wanda does it. Remember that? Hell Nobody yeah. remembers that except us. Uh, um, so let's, I think first we should probably uh, let you hear this great interview that Audra and I were able to do earlier this week with uh, Maggie, Maggie Baird. Baird. Yeah. Maggie Baird voices, uh, voices Samara in uh, Mass Effect 2. I killed her. And we had a discussion about that. <laughs> yeah. Then she voices Morinth playing Samara. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> We are happy to welcome to the program Maggie Baird. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Well, uh, first of all, I know that uh, both Audra and I have been really interested in what uh, in in voice acting specifically, and and kind of how you came to voice acting uh, based on the the career you've had prior. Well, I was a theater actor in the beginning and did a lot of theater in New York and and did some national tours and did television, etc. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And when I came to Los Angeles, I got into a company called The Groundlings, which is a very well-known um, comedy improv company here in Los Angeles. And, nice. You know, famous now because so many people have come from there, et cetera. But when I was performing at the Growlings one night, I always wanted to get into voiceover, but I, I hadn't really pursued it. And then someone saw me in an improv at the Growlings where I was, it was a panel improv where you had to make up who your character was instantly. And so I just made up that my character was the, the voice of the Snuggle Fabric Softener because I, you know, kind of obnoxious. So I was like, yeah, I'm the voice of Snuggle Fabric Softener. And so because I did that and there happened to be somebody in the audience who worked in voiceovers. And so they said, well, do you actually do voiceovers? I said, no, but I'd like to. And then they, they kind of introduced me. And then, you know, through the, the various things like that, I got an agent and that's how I got into it. But it was something I always wanted to do. But, you know, it's one of those worlds that is a bit confusing in the beginning how you get into it. Wow, that is so terrific that it came out of improv, of all yeah. things. <gasps> yeah, it was. Because, I mean, I don't know anything about improv, but I, I've taken um, a few classes over the last year or whatever and just started getting into it. And, uh, in I, improv or voiceover? Improv. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here now, where, where are you all right now? We're in Dallas. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, um... But that actually is a, a perfect lead-in. I was going to ask you, um, when you talk about voice acting, I, I would imagine it's like a lot of different artistic pursuits where 
it's going to be divided up into maybe some of it is kind of a a natural ability, but I would imagine that there's a lot of training that goes into that. And I was wondering, you know, how much of that is sort of being endowed with a particular kind of voice and how much of it is learning how to manipulate your voice? Well, that's a great question. You know, I, I think it is definitely some of both, and for different people it's different. There are definitely people who are just endowed with an unusual voice, and I think more than less, more often than not, those people make a career from that voice. You know what I mean? Like they just have an unusual voice. They're not the, going to be the person you call in to do a lot of characters. <laughs> like you're Lee Smith or someone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's going to do that thing, and if you want that sound, that's what you're going to get. Um, Yardley Smith and, um, oh gosh, Joan Cusack, you know, right, right. people, they're going to play them, that voice, for whatever they do, and it's great. And then there's other people, and maybe on the other hand, maybe they have a beautiful voice, like an incredibly rich voice with a lot of texture or gravelly or something, and they're going to make a career based on the just the sound of their voice. And then there's a whole other world of voiceover actors, more like me, who are m- more into doing different voices, you know, and the acting behind the voice. So, so I would get hired more because my interpretation or the character I chose to make it, et cetera, was what they wanted. Um, which is sort of true in, in all fields of acting. You know, there are people who play themselves and there are people who play characters. And it's still the same in voiceover. Okay. So, well, I was wondering particularly about the character of uh, Samara in Mass Effect 2. Um, I know that, you know, as a voice actor, they're going to give you some of the character information ahead of time. Uh, what kind of information do they actually tell you that is you kind of what, what you I- have to go on to make your decision? I wish I, I should have thought to look up what the original audition was, but, you know, we generally do most of our auditioning nowadays from our home studios because just the nature of the business now, we, we go less often to our agent's office or to a casting studio. We often just, you know, you get your auditions by email and you record them yourself and you send in your auditions. Wow. I do remember that when I did Samara, more I don't remember so much doing her in the audition but I remember when I went in when I got the job they played back my audition which was kind of embarrassing because I <laughs> I don't have the biggest most professional home recording system <laughs> oh, no. and you could hear a truck go by <laughs> there's like but, a dog um, barking in the background <laughs> yeah well we usually have to edit that out but somehow I'd let a truck go by so um but they said that why they had hired me I remember that the you know they usually give you it depends on the game, especially, but they use, they sometimes give you a picture, not always. They almost always give you a description of what they want. And so I think they said something about very wise and, you know, that she's a Justicar, because who knew what the Justicar adjustica, was, but, you know, that she had this sense of right and wrong and that she was old in years but beautiful kind of thing. And they told me at the time that why they hired me, which is the kind of thing you wish you always knew when you didn't get the job, why they <laughs> didn't hire you, that they said that I was the only, they liked that I hadn't been too ethereal. So whatever direction they had given had made most people do a kind of a, 
you know, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the elf <laughs> kind of. Uh... Yeah, very ethereal and like that. So <laughs> the Galadriel. Apparently, that's why I got the job. So I do remember that it was, you know, it was whatever the stage directions they gave you were or the voice directions were, it could have definitely gone into that kind of thing. So for whatever reason, I got lucky that time, and I didn't do that thing, and I got the job. And I'm sure there's 50 other times when I did <laughs> the wrong thing, and I'll never know. You know, that totally pays off, though, because, I, you know, Samara always struck me with her directness. Yes. And, and, and that certainly, if she had been ethereal, that would not have, have flown for me. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have gotten that sense of, of, of comfort with herself and everything that, that comes from that directness. Yeah, She's no, that, I definitely, she for whatever that. reason, got that from their description, and that was definitely what they wanted was, um, you know, that particular low and resonant voice, but but very direct and, you know, not super emotional, and, which made the voice harder to do on the times when she had to shout or, you know, raise her voice in a way because the whole character was sort of, created in a reson- a place in my voice which wasn't my most projected voice if you know what I mean sure um, that was kind of the biggest challenge of the part and I will say on Mass Effect 2 the director Ginny was very 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 on top of the voice you know really playing back you know because you do it over many days and sometimes and you know playing back what did we do on day one does it still sound like the same voice and that's really important. She did a great job with that. And I, I have worked on other projects where they weren't as careful about that. And <laughs> it can be really tricky because sometimes they start slipping in the directions they give you too. And it's a little off the topic, but I know one time I did a narration of a movie. They were they were trying out lots of different voices for the, this movie narration. It was actually the... Um, the polar bear one, the kind of sequel to the penguin one. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they wanted a lot of different voices. They were, of course, going to hire a big star, but they wanted a lot of people to sound like the stars, right? So they they hired me as a sort of a, let's see what it would sound like with a Reese Witherspoon (laughs) or Julia Roberts, right? But during the course of the day, the people in the room constantly changed. Sometimes I had a director in the room. Sometimes I had two or three producers in the room. Sometimes they all left and I just had the sound engineer. And everybody had a different way (laughs) they wanted the voice to sound. And they all loved whatever they were asking me to do. But when you pieced all that together, you had a completely varied performance, you know, that didn't work at all. So, you know, sometimes it was kind of quirky and funny and... (laughs) very serious sometimes <laughs> it was very warm and motherly and anyway so the director is crucial to keep when you're doing a real voice when it's not just kind of the way you always sound um it's really important that the director is helping you stay samara like or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and see i i imagine and that's one of the things i wanted to ask about as well was that you know, if you were doing this narration or you were voicing a character for animation or something, you kind of have a, a pretty good understanding of the story. And yet it seems like in each game, the the possible branches of what your character, A, how the, the, the you know, the player could interact with your character in all these different ways, plus... Uh, the the possible branches in the game story multiplied by the you know the number of games as well as those branches go farther and farther out does does that make it even more difficult? Oh yeah, that's that's the absolute hard part of video games is that you 
you are literally reading, you know, one line ahead usually to see what you're going to say. And they, have you ever seen like the sheets they give you when you do voice no. games? Well, they have, you know, it'll be like a landscape, usually side version, you know, and uh, it'll say who you're talking to and the line and what you mean by the line, you know, so kind of, She's trying to convey blah, blah, blah. But you're just basically, you, you usually do it like two times, maybe three. So they usually, at least on Mass Effect, and, and I've done other games that are different, and I know my husband recently did one where they were hooked up with headsets and they were, they were actually acting with each other in oh, a wow. room. That was Saints Row 3, actually. Um, but usually other, all the games I've done, you, you're reading down, you see the next line you're going to say, you... You kind of quickly read what your intention is, and you say it twice. And you keep going, and if they want you to do it again, they'll tell you. But, yeah, you really don't, you know, and also you're often responding to someone. Once in a while, they will have recorded the other actor first, and then you're lucky because you get to hear, <laughs> you get to respond, you know. Um, and sometimes they've, for whatever reason, said the line prior, maybe they have a temp track, but... That, that's a hard part. I think somebody else asked me on something, you know, have you ever heard yourself do something that you wish you would have done differently? And totally, absolutely, because, you know, you didn't realize in context how active you were going to be or how, how mm. it was going to play. So it, it is, I mean, when you listen to a game or you watch a game, you know, you have to kind of forgive the voice actors because it is true. You really, you're, you're, you're doing your best to interpret a lot of information that you You've just gotten, you know. I did two other characters on Mass Effect Two and or on Mass Effect Three, and I was just saying to my son, I don't even know what their names were because, <laughs> you know, because I give them to you and they're like, oh, we want a completely different voice than Samara, and you like, well, how about this? But then they don't, you don't go home with your pages, so, you know, you it's very top secret. So I don't even remember what those characters' <laughs> names were to tell you the truth. <laughs> so it is, it is kind of a um, you do have to be a kind of a good reader, like simply a good reader, so that you read easily and quickly ahead, and and a you know and a very facile, so that you can do a completely different response depending on what the directions are. Right. So you don't sound like you're reading, but sound like you're actually organically saying the line. Yes, but in fact, you literally have just read them for the first time, wow. seconds seconds before or cold as you're reading it. So, um, well, I have kind of a nerdy question about some of the okay. specifics. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the way uh, Samara speaks, I was noted. I was trying to kind of analyze it, and you know, not knowing much about the art of voice acting, I was doing my best to take it apart. And uh, I noticed a couple things. She speaks in a distinctly American accent, kind of a you know middle American that sort of journalist accent. Yeah, uh, I noticed she doesn't use any contractions. She speaks kind of formally. Yeah, that's um, right. She doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah. In fact, once or twice, I think we caught a contraction in there. We we're like, hmm, do we want to keep that? Because she does not usually speak in contractions. It's true. Is that something that you get to decide ahead of time? Or do they say she should, you know, sound maternal and wise and have an American accent with no contractions? Yeah, they do do that. That That is pretty much them. And then you just, your job to interpret that. And then, you know, in the audition process, they find the one that sounds like what they thought they wanted. But um, for the most part, yeah, that's written. Um, it's pretty, 
It's pretty word perfect. You know, it's not a, a medium where you, you know, they've signed off on all those lines. And uh, it's very intricate, you know, as you know. I mean, all the ways it can go and all the different plots. So they have really, really thought it all out. And they really want the line as written. Once in a while, when you come in for a second session, you have to redo something that they changed. A lot of times, I think more on Mass Effect 2, later sessions would be like, oh, you're going to do this again, because now we realize she's in a different place. But yeah, they wanted her to have a formal sounding speech. Mm-hmm. Um, no regional accent, no particular American accent, no foreign accent, no British accent, but very proper, you know, and uh, as you say, no contraction. Oh, I think you succeeded spectacularly. That's what I, you took away. I, yeah, I don't know what we were talking that's about. what I took. I mean, it, it sounded distinctly American, but not identifiable anywhere in the country. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But where where did you grow up? Um, I actually grew up in a little town in Colorado, and then I lived in Fruta, Colorado. And then I moved to New York City for many years, and then I moved to Los Angeles. So I actually do work with dialects a lot. I do, um, I often do ADR work. Um, you know, that's looping. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I often do that, and I do a lot of dialects when I do that, Boston and Southern and New York and whatever. It's kind of one of my interests in acting and the, the, the things that I do, which comes in handy with the games because I think like one of the other characters in the game, I wish I could remember the her name. Have you played the new game? I have not, not yet. I know the demo's available. Can't wait, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, because I'm like, well, I could describe my character. You could tell me what her name was. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I gave her a little bit of an accent. I don't know. But it does come in handy if you're trying to make your character sound different, you know. I, I've got to ask, because you have this ability that you've cultivated, do you ever use it outside of work, like <laughs> like to trick people on the phone or, you know? To, <laughs> um, on occasion, yes, on occasion, but not, not in general. <laughs> but on occasion, I have answered the phone with, a, you know, something. But no, I'm not, I'm not a big practical, I know a lot of people who are into the funny phone calls, but I haven't really. <laughs> I would feel too sorry for the people on the other end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that you have uh, acted as well in a couple, uh, in a number of TV series and different, different episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, um, how would you compare the experience of acting when you are fully visible on screen as opposed to voice acting when you're kind of uh, when it's just audio and you can you know do whatever you want with your face. Well, that's a good way to say it. You know, there is something really liberating about not being on camera. Um, because not, not so much when you're on camera is it that you're on camera, but more that when you're on camera, there's so many arbitrary things going on around you. You know, the camera might be right in your face, or the person you're acting with is sitting on an Apple box, or, <laughs> you know, or, or some, you know, I actually one time was doing this episode of, X-Files, and the I had to speak in tongues and have a seizure. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the person I was acting with was a child. And, you know, often when they have children, they have a stand-in or a, a twin often because... And in this particular case, the, the one of the twins... I don't remember what happened with the first one. But so it's like a giant one, episode of The Shining, pretty much. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one, I, I, the first one was tough, but then they put the second twin in, and when I had to have the seizure, he kept laughing. <laughs> so they brought in the stand-in. Well, the stand-in happened to be a lot of times for for children. The stand-ins are little people, right? Right. So I had a male, adult male, little person, who I was then having a seizure and speaking in tongues. So these are the kind of things you encounter when you're on a real set that are very unlike reality. And in a strange way, when you're doing a voiceover, you can can use your body, you can do whatever you have to do to get the sound out. You know, it's kind of liberating. And yet, probably a little scary, not having any any kind of so so little control over the final outcome. Of- oh yeah, well that you just have to go. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. But that you just know that going in. <laughs> Here you go. I do my best. But that's why I say like the director is so important because the director could totally make you look terrible if the director gave you all the wrong direction. <laughs> right. You have no way of knowing. It would be so hard for that director to even hold it in, you know, his or her head to keep track of all that. How do how do they even show you? Like, you know, it's I, I imagine with a with a you know a TV show, you get to watch the episode, or you know, with a movie, there would be a screening for you. Whereas, you know, with the game, it's it's sort of like the game comes out. Do you how do you how do you do it? Do you play the game or do you? <laughs> Uh, my son, I have a 14-year-old son, so I kind of rely on him for the game. Awesome. He, he got the game. <laughs> I don't think he actually ever got to my character, though, but um, I actually found myself on YouTube a lot because I was like, I want to see what that looks <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a possibility. But, you know, I'm a mom and an actor, and I don't have a lot of time to play video games. So as much as my son wishes I would play games with him more I don't but um, I do see him from you know I get to watch them when he does them so I I have some sense of the world and the amazing things that goes on in it and you know I actually really like doing video games they're fun they're they're in the voiceover world they're in the harder camp I would say in all honesty Um, because you do work you know for four hours that may not sound like much but when that's all your voice it's pretty tiring and and a lot of times I've done video games that were really intensely hard on your voice. I know I did an Ever, EverQuest, is that what uh-huh. it's called? Oh, yeah. EverQuest where I was, you know, monsters and witches. And, <laughs> you know, and they would literally on the sheet have things like it would say, death by drowning 20 times. <laughs> wow. And you have to give them 20 versions or death by, death by strangulation, death by fi- gunfire, 20 versions. It was vocally <laughs> exhausting. I think there are a few more rules now about that kind of stuff, but I'm, but um, I don't know where I spun off on that. But death by taser to the spleen. <laughs> yeah, I would say that literally, and then you know you have to do a lot of grunts and a lot of efforts. But it is it is really fun, but it is it's not like easy money. You know what I mean? No. Like there there are jobs in acting and in voiceover where you're like, wow, I got to go for. I got to go say, hey, buy, you know, this laundry detergent, and, you know, they paid me well for, but video games is not that job. You really, <laughs> you really do work hard, and it's fun, but it, it's real, it's a real skill and a real, it's a real effort. 
you know, one thing I, I, I want to know is do the when you when you have to do the little things like the grunts, the effort, the, uh, uh, you know, the death, by, death by whatever, you know, all these kinds of <laughs> taser things to the spleen. Yeah. D- taser to the spleen. D- do they do they seem really over the top to you while they're doing them? I mean, when you play the game, they don't. They they seem very, you know, kind of natural in most cases. But but does it feel weird and, and strange? Do you have to, like, you know, amplify that? I don't know, it's just part of acting, you know, it's fun, and they usually, they usually have you do different, different versions and different amounts of it, so you may do one that's mild, and then another that's bigger, and another that's bigger, and then way over the top, and once again, you don't know what they're going to use, so you kind of just have to go with it. You really, when you're a voice actor, you really, it is a big leap of faith. You just have to trust that they are going to get what they want, and they're going to use it well, and you're not going <laughs> to... But, you know, it's just part of that. That's where improvisation comes in handy because improvising is all about just doing it, you know, just committing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Getting out of your head, commit, just yeah. jump in both feet. Have you yeah, ever- that, that's really the video game world, is, you know, just pretending like you're a kid, you know. I, I and I have to ask: Have you ever had one of those, you know, one-off lines where, uh, where you're reading and it's not in context, and you're like, just what the hell context could a, could possibly make this line make sense? Oh, for sure. And and usually you stop and ask, you know, and, and especially you know the director usually has way more information than you do. So if you're just completely confused, you say you got to give me more backstory. But they do write, they do write it down. But there's, that's where the reading comes in again, because you're reading your line, you're reading what you're supposed to mean, you're reading who you're talking to. Um, but yeah, just just stop and say I'm completely lost. <laughs> I don't know why you want. And you know, as an actor, I'm never opposed to a line reading. Um, you know, I think there's a famous thing that actors don't like line readings. They don't like someone else to say, just say it this way. But right. I never minded that because I feel like if I'm not understanding what you want and you can give me a line reading, that will make me go, oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine with me. I don't mind. They can be very liberating. And sometimes they yeah. can tell you what the director somehow wasn't conveying, you know, and just in a matter of hearing them do it, like, then you know. And and if worst case, you just go, I'm going to say it just like you said it, and if it doesn't make sense, <laughs> then it will be your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know you had said a little earlier that um, while you were doing improv, um, even before you got into voice acting, it was something you wanted to do. And I was wondering if there are any uh, particular figures in the industry, people that you look up to, um, either that are voice actors or maybe that do something else that you feel kind of applies to what you do and, you know, maybe as a model for yourself. Well, that's a hard question. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, I've been in the business so long and as an actor, I I do know so many people. So... um, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm I don't really have a person who who comes to mind as like you know, because I kind of just know them as people, and they kind of we kind of do the same thing in sure, a strange sure. way. You're just kind of doing the same thing, maybe on a different plane. Um, well, I imagine it's not like there's a long, deep history of video game voice acting, like the golden age, you know, 1930s video game voice <laughs> acting or something. So I could see yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. There isn't someone like that. It's like, yeah. well, yeah. In fact, 
don't always know who they are. You know, it's, it is kind of a strange little subculture world. Um, so it isn't, and it isn't very out there. You know, you kind of go in and you do your part. Unlo- like I was saying, my, my husband did this one recently where they were all in a room acting with each other, but that's a new thing. Mostly you really are just there by yourself. So I don't know any of the other people in the game. Uh-huh. You know? It's kind of weird. They don't I mean, give I you remember like a Christmas signing party the posters. What, what'd you say? They don't give you like a Christmas party release. or something where you can, you know, have a champagne together and get to meet them? Nope. Oh. <laughs> no, it's a funny world. You don't really, you know, in, in voice over animation, you you can act with another person. They can put two of you in a room together. And commercial is the same. Sometimes you do it as a group. But just as often, it's just you. <laughs> oh. So you don't really know a lot of them. I mean, you know, in ADR, we meet each other in looping. So I know people in that. And some of those people also do video games. So, like, I have a friend who I loop with who does, um, what's it called, Navarro, right? The anime thing. Oh, right. Yeah, but, so, you know, every now and then, like, oh, you do video games. Oh, yeah, but... But you don't see each other when you work. <laughs> oh, we were in the same game together. Yeah, <laughs> I was in that game. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Our characters it actually is. talk to each other. Yeah, it is funny. Well, and if you watch them on YouTube, they did more than that. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. You have to be careful when you look at people have taken the things out of context. and They, <laughs> they do all kinds of things that wasn't in the game. You're like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I did not do that. I, I was supposed to be grunting, climbing a mountain when I did that. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it said. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, if there's one thing that Mass Effect ha- has been I, uh, to a lot of people is it's kind of brought this this huge story, uh, you know, to, to the gaming world in terms of lots of people, I think, are, are playing Mass Effect 3 today, uh, a few days after the release, because they want to know the story really bad, as far as just the gameplay itself. So Right. The ca- yeah, well, it did seem to have a, it does have a really interesting story, and, uh, and, it, and you know, it's just amazing to look at, and it's a really, it is a really cool game. Well, we're excited to get to play it. We, uh, I actually picked up a copy on, on the way home today. You yeah, did? I know, I know, <gasps> I know, I know. Except, of course, we're not going to get to see it for a couple of days at least. And oh yeah, cause, yeah, because yeah. we're working. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, what is your? Um, I actually have to go because I got to take my daughter somewhere. Oh, but thank you. Do you? Um, this is a uh, like a blo- uh, webcaster. Yeah, GWC is a podcast, and there's a kind of a community behind it as well that's very into this uh, into this sort of thing. In fact, they are uh, coming to Dallas to get together. Uh, about 50 of them are coming from around the country and the world. Yeah, to about a week from now. Yeah, to get together and, and talk about this kind of stuff. So they're going to be really excited to hear from you. This will come out uh, this this weekend. Well, that's very cool. Well, I have a I have a couple of face. I have a Facebook. You know, uh, I'm a musician as well, a songwriter. Oh, awesome. so I have a, oh, that's fantastic. A page for that, so people can certainly check me out there and uh and i hope people like the game it looks really amazing yeah there was a lot about voice acting that i i didn't understand you know i'd read a little bit but it was like i think one of my uh my favorite parts of that was hearing about the whole uh the whole concept of how you just i mean you know it must be kind of strange uh voice acting versus acting anyway right but I mean, beyond that, in a game that has so many choices, that's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I, I can't even... You know what I mean? 
Yeah, um, I guess what I thought was a bummer was that there's not that camaraderie that you expect. I, I was... I always imagined that the voice actors, I know that they record individually, but I imagined that the voice actors would at least kind of meet and hang out and discuss things. But it's a really kind of solitary exercise. I mean, when they, they send people in, they, you don't have a lot of, you know, uh, background material. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a lot of interaction with anyone. It's just kind of this, you know, sit in a room and record all of these dramatic emotions and everything. Yeah, she was saying That's pretty that- hardcore. I mean, anyone who can do that and just commit and not not waver yeah like she said even uh doing the audition remotely like literally so many of the auditions now are even remote that you may never never see the final product in in a in a format never meet the other people that are involved necessarily what's funny is i've been on the other end of that which is like i'm drawing the character yeah and somebody else is putting voice and and you don't do somebody else is doing motion and somebody else. So you, you like make what this character looks like and you have no idea what they're going to move. Like you have no idea what they're going to sound like or who they're really going to be or anything. You know, you have a basic list of stuff and then you just make that stuff. And then somebody like, you know, the, the voice actors that, uh, that do that sort of thing brings life to them that you had not imagined. Um, and they can't control what the character looks like. You can't control what they sound like, and you wind up. It winds up all coming out at the end of this thing, and you're like, "Wow, I really hope that works." And it's it's pretty cool. It really is. I've never been on the uh, like anything that huge or anything, but it's still yeah, same it, idea. It's still the same. You yeah, know, it's still wildly. You know, it's such a collaboration that you don't really understand how much of one until you finally see it. Oh yeah. And wonder, it's going to be kind of cool for them to watch it and go, so that's what they're doing with it. You know? I wonder um, if her improv experience played into this some, because, it, you know, we're talking about how disparate a lot of these parts are, you know, as the artist and as the voice actor and as the, you know, people who are determining the movement and everything, you know, and then you've got like people doing fully and then the orchestra and all this. And, uh, you know, in improv recently, just in our, our class, I'm in the level five class now, which is the top level that they offer there. And you can go back through and take them again. But um, they're talking about at this point, what you want to focus on is working as kind of a group mind where each person is individual and has a, a distinct role to play. But it's like the whole group is painting a picture, but you're all holding the same brush. And it's really difficult. Now imagine that you don't get to meet any of the other people. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And I that's mean, what well, it feels like when you're when you're in your head doing improv. You can't read each other's minds. You have to do the, you're you know, not the even best seeing you can. What input it, 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 they're it would, putting it would in. Be like yeah. everybody right. painting a, a painting together, but you can't see what everyone else is painting. Right. Yeah. You're so, blindfolded and you're trying yeah. to paint a picture together. And they say that uh, everybody reacts different. Like if you read Bioware's um uh, site on interesting facts and stuff like oh, yeah. that and all that thing they say that uh seth green comes in and he reads his lines and stuff and he does what he's supposed to and then he's like okay now we're gonna do it my way and most of the ones that seth green does his way are the ones they use because he's he just he goes in and just and from a, what the, the voice actors we talk to uh, say that's exceedingly rare yeah like like for the most part they they never yeah uh, improv anything at all because it's so difficult to fit it into oh, the yeah. game and everything is predetermined right Seth down to Green, the way bitch. they talk you know. and the way they come off and everything is you know 
is told to them. Right. And and that's pretty magic too. In fact, maybe we should put the other one in here as well so that we can uh we can kind of get into both of them. We were we were also uh lucky to talk to Jennifer Hale this week. Yeah, indeed. So I should probably start by uh, by asking the question I know everybody's going to want me to ask, which is, you know, how you got into voice acting and, and how you came to Mass Effect specifically. Wow, that's a long road. Um, I, I went to a fine arts high school and um, I got a job at a, a video studio as a PA that was next door to an audio studio called Batwell Studios in Birmingham, Alabama. And they used to ask me to come next door and record commercials you know, cause I could talk without a Southern accent and I had a little bit of acting background nice. and, and I quickly got interested in, in the economic potential. Nice. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're going to pay me $35. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so when you're 17, you're like, sweet. <laughs> um, so I, and then I, I marketed the heck out of myself. I used to go door to door to ad agencies with my reel and, you know, put on a little suit and try to look all official <laughs> and generate business. Then I went to Atlanta. I uh, started commuting between Birmingham and Atlanta. I got my first film audition and booked the job and did a few film TV things out of there and some voiceover stuff out of there, then moved to L.A. And um, after a year or two of kind of just women on the theatrical side not making enough money, I thought, well, I'll make a voiceover tape just to, you know, just to get some cash going. And within a month, auditioned for my first cartoon series and booked it. And then it was just one after the other after the other. And then out of that series actually was my first video game I ever did called Where on Earth is Carmen San Diego. Oh, wow. And it was so much fun. That show wrecked me for the rest of cartoons because I thought it was how all cartoons were. It was, <laughs> it was designed to meet all the educational TV requirements. So we had a completely balanced cast in terms of gender and ethnicity and everything. Oh, wow. And it was very limited violence and really educational and interesting not that all the others weren't interesting, but they were very different. My next show was called Skeleton Warriors, and it was a cast of 12. Two of the 12 were women, and they had giant boobs, and oh. everyone got blown to bits. Oh. <laughs> it was completely fun in a very different way, but it was just a little bit of a shock. Like, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, you got the full spectrum I, right out of the... I, I did, and it was a little terrifying to book cartoons so quickly because I never watched them growing up. I was kind of a book dork. I used to read and <laughs> nice. go outside all the time. You know, that was my thing. I just hung out by myself and read. And um, uh, so I jumped into classes as soon as I could. I just jumped into training once I started doing cartoons because when you're a regular on a show, they'll hand you an incidental every week, at least one, you know, woman in the corner, boy down the street, that sort of thing. And I was like, I, I, I can't do any voice except mine, <laughs> you know? So I had to learn pretty quickly. Now I've got 20-some in the arsenal, at oh, least. Oh, wow. Um, you know, sort of voices, if you will. I don't believe in just doing a voice. It's all about character for me. But you've got to have the technical ability to occupy that character fully, should it be, you know, a gnome or an alien <laughs> or, right. a, you know, a six-year-old girl or whatever it is. So then, you know, on down the road, I got the audition for Mass Effect. And it was um, really fun to do. There was you know, a pro, sort of an archetype given to me and a description and I just jumped in and, you know, it's a different experience doing a video game. I liken it to, well, the first game I did, the Carmen San Diego game, I'll never forget. There were several hundred flags or, you know, like a hundred and some flags I had to <laughs> right. say exactly the same. I was, like, I was like, how does this work? What, what do you, I don't understand, but I just jumped in and went, okay, I'll just make it work. 
And that was my first experience working completely out of context. And I liken it to doing a movie green screen, if uh-huh. you're familiar with working green screen. Right. Um, and if you took the script, screenplay for the movie, threw it up in the air, let the pages land wherever they landed, <laughs> picked up a page and do that page, <laughs> knowing nothing about any of the other pages, except what someone might remember to tell you. Um, that's sort of what doing a game is like. And it must be even even worse considering that, you know, voicing Shepard, there's so many possible options of what how the player can play Shepard. And, and even beyond that, you know, I, I understand that in some cases uh, with games, if possible, they would send you what the character would look like. But, of course, how would you know with, with Shepard? Right, right. Well, what I, the beautiful thing about Shepard is what I look like does not matter. Shepard ah. is not someone who uses their looks to trade unless you're trying to be intimidating. And that's more about being and attitude than it is about appearance. Because I've got a gun. <laughs> that gives me an advantage straight away. And I know how to use it well, which gives me an advantage in certain situations. Um, yeah, I, you know, if it was a different character, I just played a character in a game I can't discuss where it was mocap, and that character completely traded on her appearance and her ability to manipulate. You know, and there it's, it's important to know what the assets and tools are. But you're doing, you know, I was doing mocap, so that's a very different situation. Um, but yeah, it you know, it's I'm thrown into a vacuum, but the beautiful thing about Shepard is and the writing is it's so simple. It's very clear. There's a clear mission, you know, take back Earth, save humanity, period. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, Shepard's a soldier. There's a, someone was asking me the other night about the shift in my voice when I do Shepard because I don't, you know, I don't talk like Shepard most of right. the time. Right. But Shepard's got the weight of the universe on her shoulders, and that tends, that's a certain amount of body tension and mental tension that compresses you into a particular place, vocally and emotionally. And so that makes it easy. It, it just it's comes straight out of the writing for me. It's straight out of the writing. Yeah, when you you know that was really interesting when you said that that Shepard doesn't trade on his or her looks at all and is Mm -hmm. is just is intimidating or or convincing or or whatever needs to happen in the situation is that I suppose that's extra pressure on you. How do you uh, how do you deal with that as a voice actor? How do you uh, where do you come from to to be intimidating or to be uh, convincing in a given situation, especially out of context like that? Um, I would say there's sort of no quarter given in any situation. It's, um, for me, my, if I, gosh, you know, it's become so in my bones at this point, Shepard has, it's, I've stepped back and analyze it. There's just no question. There is no room for failure. So you don't even have to decide how you're intimidating. You just got to go get done what you've got to get done. You see the obstacle presented to you like, no, I won't. And you go, yes, you will. Here's why. Here's how. You won't? Okay, you're gone. <laughs> There's just <laughs> no question. There can be no question. Because the, the consequences are, are too, the cost is too high to fail. You know, I guess you have to buy into that. And that's my job as an actor, to buy into that and to believe in. And it's so easy with the production team, with Caroline directing and, and the writing that's coming at me and the interaction that we have back and forth. And it, it just is so easy. 
You know, it's funny you're, you're selling both. Uh, you know, to the uh, to the to the other character in the story, whomever that might be that that Shepard is speaking to, but also to the player because with the dialogue wheel and the way things work in the game, I know mm-hmm. that I, along with lots of other people, the first time we made a selection, and of course, you know, we were giving an intent versus mm-hmm. exact words, and then and then out comes your voice with something that's that's maybe different but the same. The right. first time you're shocked, and then and then very quickly you kind of learn to rely on. I guess it's you to interpret that in a lot of ways. You know, you you sell it to to us when we hear it. We're like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And that's I have to say, I have to credit Bioware. That's a brilliant device. Such a perfect leap to go. You know, to state intention and words because people will have a line reading unconsciously in their head when they make a choice if they're selecting exact right. words. And it sort of pops you out of the story a little bit when it doesn't match what was in your head. So having intention like that instead of exact words is just brilliant. I I love that. Um, yeah, and you know, to me, I don't think about selling you guys as players because I am you. And if I step <laughs> out of being you for a minute, I've just cheated you out of your experience. That's nice. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, and it's yeah. funny because especially with RPGs like this, with such a, a relatively long play time and, and even replay and, and downloadable mm-hmm. content and so on, we spend so much time uh, listening to you. We feel this connection that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. uh, un, unbelievable, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's great. That's great. That's my job. That's what I'm <laughs> supposed to do. You know, I'm kind of sad. It's funny. Tuesday, I was a little bummed all day because I was like, man, I, huh, wow. What's next? Oh. <laughs> For Shepard, what's next? You know, and you miss it when you've done a trilogy and you've done all three parts. You know, not to give anything away. Sure. I'm not saying no, anything please about don't. what's happening. Nope. Um, please don't. You, know, you just miss the character. You, wanna, you want more of them you, as, as an actor when you've really connected to them. I, I mean, I do. I can't speak for everybody. There's some people who are like, oh, thank God that show's over. <laughs> but I. Somehow I, I think we're way. not them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel that way <laughs> at all. <laughs> At all. It's been a privilege. It's just been an absolute privilege. Yeah. And I have to say, recording some of the end game stuff for three is some of my favorite work I've ever, really? ever participated in. Yeah. Yeah. On camera or, or, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the difference in, in the game and, and, uh, and, and these other types of storytelling when, uh, you know, when you say it's over and, and we know, you know, if, if there's not anything more to come out of this, at least we can go back and play it. It feels like with uh, you know with TV or movies when 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 the franchise ends, you can watch it again, but it's the same story. Whereas uh, I I just I'm not sure how long it would take to to eke every possible line of dialogue and every possible. <laughs> Someone should try that. <laughs> Let us know. It's like you know that commercial. How many? It's an old like retro Nick at Night commercial. How many? licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll and Tootsie Bob? You know, the world may never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, even, yeah, I suppose, you know, you're one of the few people that's been exposed to every possible line that Shepard could say. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yep. Well, and great. And I have to ask, and this can certainly be answered from Mass Effect 2 or others, we are spoiler free. And I know I haven't had a chance to play my copy yet. It sucks. It's sitting at home taunting me. And, ah. and uh, so, so no spoilers, but uh, oddball, fun, interesting things that you, uh, you were asked to say or, or situations that you saw on the page and went, what? <laughs> how- mm, God, how do you know without spoilers? <laughs> well, there's always the joke from, from Emmy uh, 1 and 2, which is, I should go. 
Right. I, mean, I can't. If I had a dime for an extra dime for every time I said that line, I'd retire. <laughs> um, and then there's a quite popular. I've done just two or three appearances where they've asked me to come and sign. And uh, the number one thing I get asked to do, or and in interviews, oh, to yeah. do or say is, you know, this is Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite whatever oh, yeah. on the Citadel. Oh my god. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I have to say one of my favorite things. It's not. I, I'm not going to give you any lines because I don't want to mess anything up. No, and frankly, sure. I have a memory like a sieve. <laughs> of course, part of my part of my job is dropping into the moment, and so I don't usually take it with me Do when I go on to the next right. moment. You know, <laughs> but um, working with um, you know having Michael Hogan in the show and uh, Trisha Helfer were especially exciting for me because I'm a big BSG reboot dork. I love oh, that that's show. Awesome. I'm watching, yeah, I'm watching it again on BBC America right now. It's just, it's some of the finest writing and directing and acting out there. People don't realize when my non-sci-fi fan friends, you know, when I tell them about it, they're like, really? I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this show transcends all genres. It, the, the issues, the writing, the acting. Oh my God, it's insane. You know, no. you, you have no idea what you're tapping into here. We actually, the, the podcast was originally Galactica Water Cooler, and we started at the purpose of, of uh, podcasting after each of the Battlestar Galactica episodes. Oh. And we were oh. lucky enough to talk to them. Michael Hogan, when he, we talked to him, he, uh, he, he had to cancel a couple of times because he was so busy, and he ended up talking to us on a street corner. Oh and was just the most incredible guy. So yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, we're 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 definitely in the BSG fan camp as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan. I just have. I met. I was you know fortunate enough to meet Michael um, at Comic Con, and he's just you know he's just a guy. He's just a regular guy who's brilliant at what he does. And um, yeah, it's just oh, it's so awesome to be a part of that crew. And I remember, you know, I actually when we were casting, um, they were casting some stuff and I always pipe up and I go, what are you casting right now? Who do you need? You know, cause I have, I have so much respect for my peers. I'm like, well, call this person. And I remember saying, Trisha Helfer, Trisha Helfer. <laughs> when they were looking for this one for Edie, I believe it was. And I'm glad it worked out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's been a fun little side thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you, is there other are there other franchises sci-fi franchises you're uh, you're very into or you know i would say battlestar is my crack um it's <laughs> Fair enough. and i don't have enough free time to get oh, yeah. that much i mean i watched a bit of torchwood i watched um i love sci-fi i mean i did the stargate bit and the whole thing i just i find that genre fascinating i'm moving back into on-camera acting again and i'm really stalking the sci-fi channel i really want to do some stuff on that channel that's that's my home that's where i want to be it's what i can do it's what i know it's what i do every day that's what games are it's what a lot of the cartoon stuff i do is quite similar avengers and green lantern and things like that Mm. justice league um so it's time wise i don't have time to watch that much unfortunately so i pretty much Battlestar Galactica and Modern Family are it for me right now. <laughs> and then I've got to go to sleep because my day starts at 5.30. Oh, oh. Yeah. And I've fortunately been crazy busy. That's why, yeah, being out till 2 in the morning the other night was just a butt kicker. But I was so happy, happy to do it. It was just felt it was such a privilege to be there. Did yeah. you, um, you know, when you when you came back for Mass Effect 3, uh, were, was, and again, be be wary of spoilers here. The uh, was the story as exciting to you as it is to us in terms of of finding out what happens and where things go. Completely, 
completely exciting. It was it was incredible to see the level they'd taken the writing to and the detail and the depth of it. And the very first session, Mac Walters came in and uh, Caroline was there in person. A lot of the time we work over the phone, but she was there in person. And um, he, you know, sat down and ran me through the whole sort of ethos oh, and the wow. shift into three. Wow. And it was like, whoa, okay, let's go. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. It was just amazing. There's a great um, New Yorker article. Tom Bissell is a great writer, and he he decided he wanted to do a profile of me. Oh wow! Because he was just a nutball that way. Oh. And um, he came to that one of those first sessions, and he was there for the entire disclosure, the entire setup of oh, everything. Wow. And and the article is really interesting to read. It came out in August in the New Yorker. I think they called it Voice Box 360, but. If you just Google Jennifer Hale and New Yorker, I, I mention it because it goes into such depth about the process and about the setup and about just the way everything is done. It's it's interesting if people are into that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I know a lot of our yeah. listeners will be. Yeah. And there's an accompanying podcast, too, if people don't feel like reading if they're on the road or something. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. This is really awesome. I, I know you're really busy. I won't take your whole day or anything, but, uh, you know, I, we're super excited to jump into Mass Effect 3. I know that, uh, that we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now. A lot of our listeners have been replaying 1 and 2, getting prepared mm-hmm. for 3. I know a whole lot of people are <coughs> sick today at home um, <laughs> I, mean, I know work. my heart is with them I really feel for them I hope they feel better soon but not too soon <laughs> <laughs> and get as much out of that whatever it is as possible right I think it's a really bad bug in fact I think you're quarantined for at least two weeks <laughs> is there obviously we would love to see you on sci-fi channel too is there anything mm-hmm. that you have coming up that you'd like to mention or or uh in any way that uh, listeners can connect with you in terms of uh, a Facebook or anywhere else? Um, I'm on Twitter, jhale, at jhale tweets. Um, I'm got an appearance scheduled in Australia at something oh, wow. called Supernova. Yep. Where's uh, that? Do you know? It's uh, June and it'll be in Sydney and in Perth, apparently. But, um, nice. They, they asked me to come to Australia and I said, sure. I love have, you, have you been before? Yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, yeah, wow. I had an amazing adventure there in '99. I almost got washed down a river. I oh, had wow. all, all sorts of crazy, bloody, fantastic things happening. It was amazing <laughs> fun. I so want to go um, to Australia. That's awesome. Oh, oh, it's incredible! It's incredible. I've been to Australia, New Zealand, Vanuatu, Thailand. It, it, that whole I just love you know Australasia. It's one of my favorite favorite wow. places. Um, one of it's like a dozen of my favorite places. <laughs> I, I'm a travel nut though. Yeah, I have to get an international on a regular basis or I get a little itchy. Oh, but I just awesome. find the perspective you got is brilliant because we, we get a little North America centric and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just, you know, if, if someone asked me if you had a superpower, what would it be? And my answer is it would be the ability to have everybody stand ideally in their enemy's shoes for a minute and really understand them, not to agree with them, but understand them. Because once you understand someone, you can't hate you can disagree with all your heart. God, you know, hate. it's so funny you say that because uh, not only do I do I totally agree. Uh, I uh, our discussion last week about Mass Effect Two was that that was one of the strongest uh, parts of that game for us was that the various loyalty missions. A lot of the characters that we just didn't like or, or didn't think well of, we didn't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with afterward, but we felt like mm-hmm. we understood them, and it was it, it's a rarity in in games to to have it that is. happen. See, that's the depth of these games. I, so I, I just 
feel like an incredibly lucky person to be part of it and to be a you know a, a sizable part of it. That that's you know, shoot me now. Doesn't get much better. No, don't no. no <laughs> that's don't not true. That it's going to continue to get better. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Actually, <laughs> that's my mission anyway. Let's okay. Well, it's the next level. I'm excited. I am grateful to that one. And what's the next one? Yeah, no, I'll keep people posted. I'm not that good at updating my website. I keep saying I'm going to go to the Apple Store and learn how, but frankly, I suck at it, <laughs> and I don't have time. Um, but yeah, Twitter. I tend to throw stuff on Twitter. Awesome. And that kind of thing. So, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll certainly follow you and, uh, and would be happy to hear from you with anything that uh, you're looking to promote in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I just want to thank everybody out there for playing and for for being, you know, just for your intelligence and, and, and your participation. I just really appreciate it. Now, there's a lot to talk about there, but the one thing I definitely want to call, call back to, because I think this was kind of an aha moment for me, <clears throat> was the fact that uh, was, when, uh, was when she pointed out that uh, Shepard, and, and granted, this is because of gameplay requirements, but, but it's way more than that. Shepard never, ever trades on his or her looks. Not once. Any point in, in, in the series. Ever. It's built into the game mechanics that way. But but yeah. it's what's interesting to me is that that makes it almost unique in in uh in in the you know, in the gaming universe, RPG universe, you know? Let me let me ask you this, Chuck. Do you think that the characters in the game or the games react to Shepard based on looks, but no. Shepard never uses it? Or Because what I'm thinking is, in the real world, people do treat other people based on looks, whether we like it or not. The problem is that the gameplay eliminates that, because your Shepard can be ugly. Like I said, the game mechanics make yeah, it... There is no, yeah, there is no way it can work that way. And that's what makes it so, because of the control they give you over uh-huh. the character... Yeah. They can't base anything on that because they don't know. I mean, you, yeah, could, you could make fish head shepherd. You could make, you know, pretty a, much, I you mean, know, ugly deformed shepherd or, or anything like that. And they will still react to you right. exactly the same way. And I mean, you could try to explain that, but they, it's, it would make it. It's just easier not to. And and I know that they're not doing this to make a statement necessarily because it's the gameplay requires it. But I think it does make a statement. You know, the way she said, you know, if if uh, if shepherd is is intimidating, for example, it's not because Shepard is big or small or because Shepard is pretty or ugly or, or because has a Shepherd fierce is, stare with blue eyes or something. It it's is like, literally because he or she, I'm just going to say she because I think because Jennifer Hale talked to us. So as far as I'm concerned, we're just going to call Shepard she ever, from here on out. I've only out. ever played a female Shepard. Um, yeah, me too. So, you know, because Shepard is because she is intimidating. She just has to be intimidating. And, and uh, the fact that in three, as she points out, uh, I think, uh, rightfully so, looking at what we know about the story, that literally, I mean, the first, first of all, Shepard is capable, as she points out, and she has a gun, you know, <laughs> but and not only does she have a gun and does she know how to use that gun, but her mission is so important. It can't be any more important. There is no possible more important mission than what she's doing. Save the universe. That's all there is to it, you know. So if you are between that, there would be nobody in the universe that would think twice about the fact that Shepard is going to eliminate you. You know, it would make sense to anybody involved, including you. You know what else is cool, you know? though? If you think about a lot, how many alien races there are in these games and how they react to Shepard, 
you know, who's to say that aliens are going to react to humans' looks, quote-unquote looks, the same way that other humans would anyway? So it, it kind of works out. I mean, who says that a volus or, or someone is going to be more or less intimidated or more or less attracted or whatever based on how people look? You know, that's, you know what I mean? We yeah, have our own ideas of, of what beauty is. But You're yeah. hot, Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> nice volus. <laughs> Chastising rebuke. Don't talk about her looks. <laughs> they are indifferent to your looks. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of an interesting thing to consider. I mean, there are other humans in the game, but um, it's just another angle that this works on. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing uh, I think that, that uh, Jennifer Hale had to say that was so really awesome was very much that that she felt like it was significant to to not necessarily agree with one's enemy but to understand one's enemy and and uh because you can't really function without that you know make smart decisions about whether they should be your enemy and if they are how to deal with them unless you've done that and and that was something that uh back to the you know before we start we played these interviews you know we were talking about in mass effect 2 how you have the loyalty missions introduced and they do that like beautifully you know and uh and yet at the end of mass effect 2 if you aren't just magically careful and you don't use every bit of what you understand about those characters and get a little bit lucky you're gonna lose some of them i lost two my first playthrough yeah I did. I lost uh, 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 Legion and uh, the Solarian. Um, Morden. Morden. Yeah. Yeah. It's and very easy to lose Morden. I, yeah. I lost Morden. He was he was the first one gone, and I'm like, crap, you know. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's not so bad. And then I lost Legion, and I'm no, nope, I'm going back. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go back to my save, and we're going to fix this. You know? Morden, I can deal with it. Morden. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, but, there's really only one mission I think that Morden can handle. And that's the, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's the, like, wait. Well, the... Wait for the door to open mission. You, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's take take everyone else back to the that's ship. That's it. Yeah, it's yeah. take the people back to the ship. If, that's if the he one is not the leading ship. the retreat party, he, he does not make it. <laughs> Follow the hey, word in hey. shape blur. <laughs> Screw holding the line. I'm getting my butt out of here. <laughs> They're advancing in reverse. Come on. Yeah. I'm not that kind of Solarian. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's that kind of Solarian. Here he is cool. But damn, you know, yeah, seriously. And it hurts, you know, because you, you earn the that loyalty. Of course, Ooh. if you don't earn that loyalty, you lose them for sure, you know? Yeah. They're well, just, and then it's also coupled with preparation too. Like if you don't go and scan planets and get minerals and upgrade your ship, nobody's going to. They don't the even get a chance. They it. just get like a laser through the face. <laughs> you get lazed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, so, guess you should have upgraded your armor, Shepard. <laughs> guess we should have done a little bit more mining, Shepard. Isn't Morton yeah. the one? Is he's in two? He's trying to convince you the whole game to buy upgrades, isn't he? Well, he is in, the, in that. Uh, <laughs> Please save me! Please save me! Yeah, that's ironic. I don't want to die. <laughs> I know Solarians aren't worth the crap, and we made the genophage and everything. But you know, come on. You know, I, I wanted to say something kind of serious and important to me about uh, what you said, Chuck. Yeah. Um, you think Solarians are hot? <laughs> it could be. No. <laughs> no. Racist. No, their chins are just too small. Have you ever met a female Solari? <laughs> I. They could be not that I care about. You they could be. Know. They could be. <laughs> I've never think... actually seen one. No, I guess that's true. Yeah. Even uh, I'm trying uh, to think of the third game too. And no, sorry, no. Go ahead, Andrew. 
Well, you were talking about um, the interview with Jennifer Hale and how it's important maybe not to agree with or completely accept your enemy, but to try to understand yeah, where definitely. they're coming from. And I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, when I'm when I'm teaching and I'm kind of in like full on work mode, my brain just kind of gets stuck there. And I, I may not interact as much on Twitter and stuff because I'm just thinking about what I'm doing. And, you know, it's really important to me to not just make it a simple, okay, you know, let's, let's learn how to write a paper, but also to learn how to think. And as I was driving the other day to class, I was thinking, um, listening to the news and they were talking about all these real world issues that are really tense and that require a lot of, you know, sophisticated kind of negotiations and diplomacy. And, and, you know, people have very strong feelings on all sides and there's a, there's always this risk of war looming and stuff. And, and I, it made me think about in mass effect and how, like, I, I really appreciate the way that, um, and, and for what it's worth, I think Jennifer Hale brings a lot to this in her vocal performance, but I appreciate the way that um, Shepard really does, if you, you know, if you choose the Paragon options, she really does try to understand the situation and she can use her words and her, you know, she can make choices that will diffuse situations diplomatically and obviously there are other ways to get through you know you can you can choose to not do that you can shoot you can intimidate whatever but just the fact that you can do that is really awesome to me and I think that in a way that is sort of a model for how people need to be in the real world who are dealing with big problems you know and I'd like a small part of me would like to think that people playing Mass Effect if they go through those at least the Paragon options and I'm not trying to say this is a you know, this is a moral game that's designed to teach you a lesson. No, but I'd like to think that if you do that, then maybe it shows you that there is a possibility of of diffusing really big situations, um, even if you thought that it wasn't possible. Um, when I, you know, when I've played Mass Effect, there were situations that I didn't think could be talked down. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that they could be, it may be just a game, but it kind of opened up something in my mind. Like I kind of admired Shepard and it made me think in the back of my head, like that would be kind of cool to be able to do that, you know, but, to be able to move. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the fact that you can uh, talk before he becomes all robot zombified, uh, that you can talk Saren Arterius down. Yeah. Like you don't have to fight the man, Saren. Right. Um, and you yeah, can actually get cool. him to turn him back from the indoctrination and and kill himself. I mean, uh, I guess it doesn't really matter because then he becomes but still, taken over by yeah. Sovereign. Yeah, but, but yeah. you know what? I feel like you did right by the guy that got screwed over. He he was redeemed. Yeah. 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 And I feel like didn't it didn't help you much, but he was redeemed. <laughs> no, but it didn't hurt. You know what? It actually kind of did because it didn't hurt you to give him that, you know? Yeah. And it's rare for games to, to even try with that. They'll Most just, of the time you don't. It's like blast this, explode that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and and the fact that they do that without actually taking away any of the fighting. Yeah, it's a little bit different than, than something like, um, I don't know, Halo or Call of Duty or, right. or something. There's a lot more humanity in, in Mass yeah, Effect. And, yeah, there is. And I would, I, I think that, you know, and I, I know you have to take it with a grain of salt because, again, it's a game. But I really think that there are people in the world, like political leaders and people who are in charge of really, really big, important decisions who might benefit from that kind of thing. It's a mass effect. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I mean, you know, there are, there are people who just don't believe in that. You, you have to have a little bit of belief that it can work. 
you know, and if you don't, then you're going to be more likely to just be like, hey, there's nothing we can do. They don't. It's like in Star Trek six, right? They don't put the same value on life that we do. We better just hit the switch. And sometimes I think, man, you know, it's it's almost magical what you can do with really, really good communication. I would be really scared of politicians watching Mass Effect or playing Mass Effect. I mean, for real, because I know they would lock into the wrong thing. Man, that Odina guy is really cool. I should be like him. He's got Let's upper make management him the He's got <laughs> he's got his stuff together. We're gonna we're gonna support Odina. I, you know what? I need to I need to be like that in real life. I would be scared of them them uh, checking out Mass Effect. I, I would think they would clue in on the wrong stuff. Genophage, what a great idea! You know, oh. you know, it's it's funny. The uh, you, you see these articles recently, like uh, Io Nine ran that article about why Mass Effect is the most you know significant story ever, and in the in classic Io Nine fashion, the most whatever, most everything, everything ever. You know, yeah. Instead of like what they're really saying that hey, here's ten cool things about about you know Mass Effect. But the funny thing is, is that it is really significant in the gaming world. And I think the reason is, is because the buy-in to it is more so and different than it is with other games. You know, even similar games with similar gameplay and similar ways things work with Mass Effect, you see people taking, and we started talking about this in the first uh, episode of this arc, you know, how they really did an incredible job of manipulating gameplay to get you to buy in and, and commit to the story where the story really becomes yours more than it does. Even in, like Halo is a great story. I mean, I would say that the Halo story is every bit as massive, you know, as, as the Mass Effect story. For a first person shooter, it is exquisite. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, but it's, it's every bit as detailed except, and I love it. I'm not at all putting it down. And yet, I buy into Mass Effect more. I feel more connected to the Mass Effect story. And in in you know in the first one in the first podcast we talked about the arc we talked about how the gameplay mechanisms helped do that. In the second one we really talked about how the loyalty missions and how the the way the characters work buy you into that. And you know the the third part here I think you know another reason for that is is exposed through these interviews where you see that these these kinds of literally forcing you maybe accidentally maybe on purpose but forcing you to think about things with kind of a gender mask almost on it you know instead instead of just building in all the standard crap that we have with us and bringing it into the game because you do that's what you do that's how culture works right this gameplay mechanism kind of gets in the way a little bit and makes this situation where it's forced to uh, the game is forced to work a different way and to and to reach around that and 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 come to something more yeah i know that's funny to to something that hey. is greater in a lot of way it is funny <laughs> i'm not disagreeing there was a silent smirk at one another. We weren't going to say anything. <laughs> Which is why I mentioned it, because it's funny. You think I... No, but seriously, I mean, you, I, I just feel like there are... We keep stumbling into these one after another after another, and every one of these uh, makes the game connect in a more fundamental fashion. You add them all up, and the reason that this is one, this is one of the most significant you know, sci-fi stories and, and games is because of that. Yeah, they, they really kind of encompass all the a large part of, uh, you know, uh, I'll say this and it's not the right word, but humanity, cause it's not humanity when it's alien races, but they encompass a lot of an alien. Yeah. Even the word, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the word is racist. You know? I'm just kidding. But the, there's, 
they encompass a lot of these emotions and everything and the the cultural impact for all concerned the uh and i'm leading up to something here but uh, i know i'm a guy with a porn cast so guess where it's going but there there's the there's the cultural stuff there's the the war the political stuff and there's all these uh you cannot have soldiers that are human or these alien races without feelings of emotion with them or uh you know, intimacy and everything. And they bring that in because it's part of how we deal with stuff. You know, in the first one, you come in and you know, you're going to Ilos or Vermeer and you know, it's going to be bad. And you know, whoever, if you chose to do this, whoever your, your chosen partner is comes to comfort you basically. Uh, in the second one, you, it's, it's much the same way. You're screwed, you're depressed, you're stressed and everything like that. And, and somebody comes to be with you because nobody wants to be alone. And, Without being, they they walk a really fine line, but without being dirty, they go in and show you that expressions of intimacy and and feeling together, and that being together as part of your either your mate or your crew or whatever is still a part of this soldier's life, uh, whether it's man or woman, shepherd and and whoever you have relationships with, it is every bit as what makes you who you are as the other things, and they don't leave it out. Like in Halo, there's not a lot of that. Call of Duty, none of that. You know, there's, there's, and it's not like GTA either, where it's like you go, you know, right. beat some random hooker with a bat or anything, and it's funny. It's a real relationship, and you have a real connection with these people. And I don't think you see that in games almost ever. It just keeps showing up. Yeah. It's like ever. almost every way you look at this game, there's one of those things, you yeah. know, where you're like, it's unique in this way. Yeah. And, and that's I, what makes it special. game that does that to the level that this I does. Can. And it keeps it, it keeps it, you know, still sensual, but clean. There's not a lot of nakedness, but they still tell you what's going on. And they do that with almost everything. Uh, almost every part of the game, the combat, the relationships, the, the, yeah. uh, the political situations, the, the people, the random people you meet, everybody, they do a, a really great job, no matter what you pick, that you have an effect on this. And, it's very rare. And, you know, just to, to call back to the funny discussions that we had before the cast, we were yucking it up and having fun, kind of like we do here, because it's fun. I mean, we're having a good time. Yeah. But, but you know, one thing that we, you know, that we we were talking about, too, is how in a lot of cases, uh, like, uh, and, and we have some, some calls to play as well here, but, uh, um, uh, you know, a number of people have talked about how on on many when you play the game through many times eventually you start trying to do different things even things that you wouldn't want to do just because you you've done so much you want to see what else is in the game you know so you, you get to a point where and and I say you cuz I I haven't done this and this is where I was going with it but uh but like you know people would do things like like not recruit Garrus or something just because to see what happens in two, if you don't, because maybe you get some new dialogue or something, trying to explore the depths. Of, I could never do that. Garrus is too cool. It, and that's it. In fact, I'm I'm a big weenie, uh, even more than you guys. I know, I know, and I'm I, I'm worth making fun of with this because I'm a big weenie. Like I tried to even just be a dick, and I couldn't because. I, I identify so yeah, much bad with Shepard. To Anderson, you're like, Man, I, I'm, I'm I can't done. Do I can't that. do that. You know, or even like, you know, even like. Like when the like we talked about in one when the guy comes up to you and, and is trying to retrieve the body, you know, I can't be a dick to that guy. It's, yeah. And and why? Because I feel so connected. And and that was another thing that Jennifer Hale said. You know, back to what she said, where uh, she's like, I I had mentioned that you know selling you you're not just selling those dialogue lines to the other people, but to the players as well. Because you know, with the dialogue system, you're giving intent, and then that comes back to you. 
And she, you know, quite rightly states you most people, if you give them an actual line, they have a line reading in their mind and this separates it. And that's an awesome thing in and of itself. But more than that, she's like, you know, I don't have to sell the player because I am the player. And, and it's because of all that beautiful writing and all this other stuff that, that she is. And when she says that, you identify so much with Shepard yeah. that you really want your Shepard to be a decent person, you know? I have yeah. a hard time. I thought it was uh, interesting when Sean mentioned uh, comparing the storyline and the, I guess, the emotional connections with Mass Effect and Halo. Right. Because in Halo, it's true that there are these moments of connection, but I always felt like they were very kind of macho connections you know if like for example you see um when master chief is you know arrives or whatever and you see these injured guys who are like hey look who it is you know it's it's this very kind of military like all the affection is geared in admiration and yeah, hierarchy hero worship and, and, and yeah stuff yeah. like that and and mass effect i think really takes a big leap in that way because you know statistically the audience for Mass Effect is going to lean on more male and, you know, younger guys. And younger guys may not necessarily be uh, open to, like, okay, I, you know, they wouldn't sell it that way. We're going to give you a story with, like, um, intimate emotional connections and relationships. And, you know, you have to talk and get to know the person before you can hook up and all that. And yet, these young guys are human beings. And that's what human beings want. But they kind of... Um, they find a way to to get past all of those barricades and all those social concerns and get right into your heart, no matter who you are playing this. Well, the the other thing I like, uh, continuing the comparison between Halo and Mass Effect, is that, um, well, I guess with the exception of the current story, um, <laughs> the Mass Effect 1 and 2, it feels very much like it's a universe that exists and your story's taking place in it. Yeah. Where with Halo, it's like, the entire universe is revolving around what Master Chief, Master Chief does. Yeah, he's right. the hub, and the yeah. the wheel revolves around. It's it. like he, 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 yeah, he, ODST kind of gets away from it a bit, but it's still related to what's going on. Yeah, which and it's yeah, I love ODST better than I mean. I, let me rephrase this. I love playing uh, like Halo. Uh, you know, Halo. The campaign. Uh, yeah, the campaigns and all that kind of stuff. ODST. My favorite Halo story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, it, it was just so good. But Reach anyways, was awful. Didn't, didn't mean Reach was awful close. Oh, no, no, yeah. yeah. Reach was, For Reach the was same really reason. good. Yeah, but yeah. ODST is still my favorite. Yeah. You know, if it was a book, I would read ODST. I'm with you. you know? I'm with you. I agree. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what it comes down to is that it feels like at the end of the day, Morlan's going to close up his shop and go home and, and go somewhere. And, you know, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> Morlan's yeah. famous shop. Yeah. <laughs> Many good supplies. Yes. <laughs> Don't you love that they all, all the Solarians sound a little bit like, like Steve, Steve Buscemi? Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Buscemi is like the, the quintessential Solarian. So yeah. it's like. No, it, it, it's so. It's. I, I've. Mass Effect has kind of spoiled me on yeah. Yeah. all other story games. Yes. Like even, even Skyrim is a fantastic game. But it's it still doesn't quite grab me quite as much as Mass Effect does because Mass Effect makes you care for really care for the character that you're playing and in the world and it makes it feels yeah. like there's a universe that's going yeah. on outside. Skyrim grabs you well actually Mass Effect grabs you by the ball Skyrim grabs you by the knee you know it's, <laughs> it's not it's not quite the same you don't have the same level of emotional attachment I mean in Skyrim it's definitely more interactive but it's a different type of interaction. Yeah. It's a different type of story. You don't get committed to these characters 
I mean, you could probably name a lot of them in Skyrim, but you don't know who they are and you don't really care. Yeah, I would say Mass could, Effect. Oh, I'm sorry, Sean. No, go ahead. I, I would say Mass Effect grabs you by the heart. Um, but you know, maybe just because I can't relate maybe to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I just can't relate to you. But um, I, I'm sorry. I to, I totally didn't mean to, to hijack there. No, I I would say the and the only other one that does this uh, as well. Uh, honestly, and and I know Chuck, you you guys actually. I don't know if anybody in this room's played Dragon Age. Is do you play one? I, I've played. I haven't played through all of it. Yeah, the Dragon Age does the same thing to you. Uh, there, of course, it's made by the same company sure. and, and does all the same thing. They even use some of the same actors and stuff. So uh, it's not really a surprise. But Dragon Age will do the same thing, and Dragon Age is actually longer than Mass Effect. I mean, it's got a ton more content and a lot more DLC and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot more of it and it does the same thing. You, you get attached to these characters and they do. It's a really great formula, a really great system that they develop for building, uh, relationships with people that don't exist. Makes and, you think you the name Bioware, no. it kind of speaks to the yeah. organic yeah. nature. You know, this is something actually that is coming up a lot in uh, in my classes in my program because uh, you know, emerging media. One of the one of the one of the thoughts is that uh, uh, video games are definitely taking their place as an art form and as a as a media of their own as a narrative sure. device. And, you know, there, there early on, a number of years back, the question was, well, could a video game be art? That's crap. You know, of everybody knows, of course it can. Of course it can be. But, but the question really is, what kind is it? Because, you know, we've had, if you think about it, if I ask you about even like a, a relatively new art, like photography, right? I mean, compared to say... Which is funny calling that a relatively new art, but it is. But putting it yeah. in perspective, yeah, it I mean, is. like, if you think about it... <laughs> art compared to, like, like, cave paintings. Yeah. Sculpting, <laughs> yeah. Oil painting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And, and uh, um, in, in fact, you know, in, in recent times, and by recent times, I mean, like, 1900s and forward, you know? We've, we've been studying art for a long time. That is recent for art. That's like sure. yesterday, art-wise, yeah. you know? I mean... Art, you might even consider art the first form of communication, right? The minute we communicated, we were making art. You well, know? I would like to, but I'm pretty yeah. sure everybody will disagree with that. Yeah, but. Bon, screw them. You know, that's I, that's I just interesting. Get, but, but the thing I, that, I wouldn't consider it that way, but I can really? see how you... Well, yeah, I mean, because I think that you know, maybe art is the first thing that we communicate. Yeah, well, and I guess, I guess where I'm going is that in relatively recent times, we've really struggled with what these new art forms mean in terms of what kind of art they are. Not are they art? Of course they are. The question is, is what's different about that means? Like we've been looking at the differences between sculpture and, and, and uh, you know, sculpture and oil painting for what? I don't know how long. Sculpture and dance. Or yeah, sculpture. Singing, exactly. We've been yeah. looking at those for a thousand years, you know, yeah. and, and we've only had a hundred or two hundred to look at, you know, the difference between... Oh, more than a thousand, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you yeah. see what I'm saying? I mean, when we look at, well, what does photography bring uniquely beyond, say, you know, sculpture or dance or painting or other things, right. you know? And uh, what is it? Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, right, is the big kind of relatively recent work that starts to look at at uh, uh, at what that is and, and, and how... The, well, the different affordances of the photography that was about photography it's used a lot in new media now because people are looking at it in digital art that well, way and and the the term art as as uh, you know a form of expression can be expressed so many different i mean hell they had the the motorcycle exhibit in the uh 
God, what's the big one? Is it the Guggenheim? Guggenheim, yeah, yeah, right? the, the Guggenheim, big round one. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Guggenheim. I mean, they're it, it can encompass so much, and like these video games are such a large collaborative expression. Yeah, I don't think people who don't play them have really caught up to what it is that go a goes into them, and b what it is you get out of it. Yes, uh, and that's where I was going with this. Incidentally, is is that. This is even new compared to the idea of really getting into and finding some of the real affordances of a video game in terms of a narrative device. We're only just touching that. We yeah. just jumped in in like the last five years. You know, I mean, if you look back at the beginnings of video games, yes, yes, I get it. Duck Hunt had some st- is a narrative. I won't argue it is. There is a narrative. <laughs> it's a crappy narrative and the there's dog not- laughs at you. But-, <laughs> but let's face it, there's not much. I yeah. mean, when you when you look at that, compared to you know mass effect or skyrim but no, i mean even modern ones i mean angry birds doesn't exactly have the same kick mass effect does i'm just saying it, we just opened that door and it is an amazing path and i'm really excited about what kinds of opportunities come from telling that story and we, the kind of way we've been trying to look at mass effect in the last few years what makes mass effect great i think is not is not the the story of the characters it's the fact that it's starting to really take advantage of the affordances of the medium. See, the the first one that really kicked me is, I mean, you have the Dungeons and Dragons games and everything, but you kind of bring a lot to that to it yeah. because you create the characters and, and you do Agreed. this and you really, uh, you push the story a lot further. But the first one for me was Final Fantasy when you get about like Final Fantasy VII, which was my first introduction to real storytelling with a video game, you get like an hour worth of cinematics. That's a mo- that's half a movie. Yeah, you know the the newer ones when you you start to get into like Final Fantasy twelve and the ridiculous crap and, and everything like that, you're thirteen or whatever it is that you're you wind up with and uh, uh, <laughs> the the Metal Gear Solid I. Wing and I were talking on the other cast. We were talking about, uh, you know, there's about two and a half hours worth of cinematics with the latest Metal Gear Solid. That's a movie. You know, that's literally a movie that you're watching and you're interplaying some stuff and everything. It's it's such a long narrative sometimes that you don't really realize how much crap went into that. See, even then, we've had we've had uh, a long time, relatively speaking, to understand the narrative of movies. Yeah, so exactly. when they put in a cinematic, that's like putting a movie in. Yeah. Whereas now we're seeing people like Bioware researching to figure out, hey, they introduced this dialogue wheel. <laughs> we're going to put think, you in it. <laughs> but that dialogue, you think, oh, that dialogue wheel is just to make selection easy. No, 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 not at all. That dialogue wheel is a magic way to unlock some of the potential of that medium that's not there before. Right. You know, I, I don't I don't know that a lot of people would make this comparison, but this is uh, the development of video games as a, a new kind of art form. Reminds me a lot of when opera first came out. And I think I think that would be like the late 1600s um, in Italy, right? And you got guys like uh, Monteverdi who they had forever orchestra performances, choral performances, theater where you would you know act out dramatical you know dramatic things, and then you know Monteverdi comes up with Orfeo. Or, or Orpheus, right? Which is the first, uh, the first successful right. opera. A couple of people tried, you know, other things, but um, Steve goes to the wishing well. Not it, a successful opera, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Um, and it, it blew people away because opera did something that had never been done before. It took theater 
and orchestra and chorus and you Fat know ladies. and musical and telling stories in narrative and you know there are and and opera is designed to have little segments and there's like libretti which means little books uh-huh. you know and and you tell the story in chapters and it, it combines all of these previous mediums and people were just like oh my god you know i didn't even know you could do that and and it just it, it really stormed and that's what what made it so awesome you know is that it it took all these pre-existing things that people loved and just mashed them together in a new way and it was really modern in its time and that's you know that's funny that because if you look at it everybody just is like completely uh understanding that say video encompasses audio for the most part right i mean when you when you watch a movie there's sound in the movie so you know anything you do with sound you you can do in addition with video and and when you have them combined right and and yet they look at the game and they don't realize that you have sound and you have video and you have all that and and you have this interactivity and this and this forking story and this other kind of thing and and it's not enough to just fork to have the story you know have possibilities you know it, Mass Effect is by no means like a choose your own adventure no you know it's not and and I I hope we it gives it the, a, the great illusion that it is but in one kind of uh, i guess uh, like they they give you the illusion that there's a lot more choice than there is however the choices that they put in are both elegant and telling and it's it's really well i i think you guys had had nailed it either last week or the week before when you said it's not necessarily about the choices that you make affecting the story it's it's how you interact with the story yeah yeah. And um, that's if I hope we were able to like dig in and undercover. I mean, uncover just a little bit of that, because I feel like I feel like there's more just in Bioware. They've done more than we managed to uncover in terms of making this work. And uh, and I'm sure they're holding that tight because that's that's their trade right now. And as a society, we're struggling. We're struggling to try to understand this as an art form and and as a narrative device and it's so new that in a lot of ways it's not respected as one yet, but it is. Neither was opera, by the way. Exactly. Well, yeah. Almost none were. Yeah. Right? I mean, when they first... At first, yeah. I mean, it took a little while. Yeah. And the, the struggle, I think, partially with this, and I've dealt with this my whole professional career, is digital does not get a lot of respect. Uh, there's, there's a strong, uh, amongst uh, traditional art forms, uh, you know, the cinematic people, uh, the... Uh, hand drawing skills people and and all that kind of thing that uh you know the photography people all that kind of stuff the digital will be the dirty redheaded stepchild uh, i gotta tell you I'm- and it it's it's bad uh it's i think it's being more accepted now but uh for some reason if it's digitally created there seems to be amongst uh, traditional artists some kind of stigma attached to it, which is completely and utter BS. Uh, there's you can make some really bad digital stuff, just like you can make bad movies or bad photography or bad drawings or bad paintings, bad dances, any of that stuff. Um, I mean, you don't compare, uh, you know, a, a Russian ballet that has been around for a hundred years to the Humpty Hump. Okay, it's not they're 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 different as far as the way they were created and why. Uh, the same is is can be said for a lot of the the I guess I will, I'll use this word although I hate it higher class of uh, uh, 
Argus more in developed uh, class of, of digital video games than some of the others. I mean, you you can really you can really find bad and good examples of both, just like any other art form. So it's difficult to find a direct comparison. And I don't know. No, I'm rambling on about it. Not at all. I was glassy eyes, but no, I was totally in agreement. I'm totally in agreement with you. I just didn't want to interrupt because I accidentally did there. I I wanted, I agree completely. In fact, I was going to say I'm I'm taking a class uh, called digital textuality, which is all about uh, the digital world and how, how turning it in things into bits, what that has to do and doesn't have to do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. By the way. But yeah, I mean, literally, like, like, how does it change things, and how does it not change things? And yeah. and it's funny because I mean, the the uh, you know, the first thing you learn, of course, is that in academic worlds, text does not mean words. Text means literally a, a any, work, a work, exactly. Yeah. So, like a painting, that's text. You know, it can be whatever. You know, and with that in mind, it's kind of interesting that that they look at it. We look at it in terms of text and in terms of audio and in terms of video and to some extent in terms of interactive, Yeah, you know, because that is taking its place, you know, and it's funny because video was sort of the, the, the redheaded stepchild, you know, <laughs> that shows up because it's only, it's only 50 years old when the other, by the way, you we know, love our gingers. We're not, you know, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? like when it's only 50 years old when the other one's like, you know, 2000, you know, 3000 yeah. years old. And as soon as video games came along, you know, video was just like, Tag. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're it. You know? I actually have uh, two things. I, I just got to throw in cause I'm really excited. Um, one is as far as the, you were saying, Sean, that like digital doesn't get as much respect respect as other arts that are considered more traditional. Um, I can't help but think that part of that has, we've seen that before. And it's one of the things I love about science fiction is because it speaks to this. If you go back and look through literature of, you know, the 1900s, um, the industrial revolution, you know, all of the way that uh, machines started coming in and replacing people, essentially, there's a lot of anxiety about the way that machines, i.e. technology, can move in and take the place of human beings. Yeah. And instead of seeing them as an opportunity to work with machines to communicate in, in still very human ways, but different ways, you know, like people think of, you know, when you auto tune music, well, that's not art. Well, sure. It's art. Of course it is. Go it's, listen to, to the, it, the it Carl requires, Sagan auto tune that they did. Yeah. You know, it, it's glorious dawn. That's awesome. It requires different input. It has different output. It can be interpreted differently. It's still art. But I think that there's always kind of a maybe it's natural too. I don't want to justify it as being good, but um, there's kind of an anxiety in people, right? That machines are somehow intruding in in the work that is meant for humans. And yeah. I think that science fiction speaks to that so often, whether it's in iRobot or whether it's in this play that came out in like 1929 called The Adding Machine. And it's about these people who work in an office and they're really upset because the company gets this computer and computer used to literally mean something that computed like a, you know, there were people who were called computers too, but this, this size of a room machine that just added numbers, it was a giant calculator and people were really upset about it because there were people who were hired to calculate and add numbers. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's this, um, it's like kind of feeling threatened, you know, they took my jobs, (laughs) shooting all the jobs. No, you know, (laughs) Well, Archer, I, come on. That yeah. was fun. Seriously, one thing to add to that that's really funny is that if, uh, 
you know, when you look at the, the way there's so many parts of, of the way things work uh, online, how, how they're emerging systems, uh, don't fool any, nobody should fool themselves into thinking that it's all human interaction, that, that there isn't a machinic element in everything, even creativity. Uh, there is, there just is. And uh, another real fun one is, is if you, if you Google everything is a remix online, there's a great explanation. Uh, this, this group, and I, I won't go into all the details. You can Google it and follow it, but they, they essentially are trying to address this, this concern about, about a need to redo, redo copyright and patent law right now, because there needs to be this balance between like, uh, what they point out though, is that the quick version is that uh, you essentially have, there aren't really any new ideas. All ideas are partially old ideas. You know, like you take an idea and you take it further. And that is what we think of as a new idea, you know, and the value of it is, is new. And, and it really is important on its own. But if you take all those other pieces out from under them, they don't exist. And, and they're essentially talking about how it's a, it's a, a growing environment and you have to have this balance of, of desire and motivation to create new ideas, but also ability to stand on the shoulders of the previous ones without it's, having your balls ripped off. It's like the, the literary theory. There's a whole concept. I, I think it's new historicism, but it, it says that no art can be created in a vacuum, that there's always a context, you know, but that itself, culture, right? that yeah. itself yeah. is a way of looking at it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. We have a bunch of calls, by the way, and we've been shunning them because we've been going like hell through all these trying to get. And yet again, we're like out of time. We're going to talk about mass. That's an indicator of how badass Mass Effect is, isn't it? Hell yeah. Hey, guys, Jeff from Adelaide. Um, Mass Effect. Okay, so Mass Effect is one of my favorite games of all time, and the Mass Effect series is my favorite game series of all time. It's just, it's amazing that the the story is just so epic, and, and it just doesn't. It just—it's hard to describe the way it is. It, the, the scope of the background, like the the, the codex, the way they, the amount of effort they put in, the detail into each civilization, to each different race is amazing. And and not even that. The the thing I love about it is is the the story. It completely engrosses me. I mean, it it draws you in with the you 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 feel like you're. You're like channel, like making this is your channeling story, but making this path, but you're you're technically not, but it still makes you feel like you are, and it's it's amazing. And I've had people try to explain, like, because I'm personally invested into this into my shepherd now, and it's amazing. And I, I want to see how it ends. I want the galaxy to survive. I want shepherd to prevail because it's my shepherd, not just any shepherd. And I've had try, people try to explain this to me before, and it just it's something you need to experience. It's something like you can try and play as much as you want, but you, you can't. It's just hard. <laughs> you need to experience it, and so it's, it's just the, the story in this game is it's amazing. If but people listening, if you have any remote interest about this story, please go get go get this game, play it, enjoy the story, and it help, even if you're not massive on the game part, Bioware has realised people want this for just the story. So they created a new story mode where they've removed pretty much every bit of combat they could. They've, they've made it so damaging they couldn't remove it completely because it would break the fundamental mechanics of the game, but they've removed it so that you can get through the combat so easily and get to the story, and I'm out of time. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Jeff is awesome, isn't he? Yeah. I, the, the, closest, uh, the closest I can come is... Uh, is it... Uh, you remember the Star Trek episode? Was it Inner Light where he got hit with the probe and oh, lived yeah. another yep. life, and it became kind of his life? 
That's my kind of how, episode, yeah, that's kind of how Mass Effect hits you. You know, it's you are put in this. Oh, that is true. That's great. You know, you are put in this world and you live the life Shepard lives and you can't really separate yourself from living it once you're you're in there because it's you, you know, it's your decisions and you're going to do this. And these people are important to you, even though you've never met them, even though they might not actually exist, uh, you care about them. And it is a singular expression that is not done in many other games. I think that Jeff's reaction is uh, speaks to how a lot of people feel about this game. And I suspect that Mass Effect might be setting a new standard yeah. for, for story-based games and for RPGs. And uh, I can't help but make a... It reminds me of the literary reference here with uh, Dickens. I think we talked about it before. We know that Charles Dickens, when he was writing Great Expectations, wrote it in installments and was publishing it in like a local magazine. And people would read it chapter by chapter. And as he was writing, he would get feedback and letters from the people who were reading. And he was influenced constantly by... The, the what people wanted and when he wrote the original ending that shows up in most traditional versions of the book there were enough of a group of people that were upset about the ending that they kind of all petitioned they're like we want a different ending yeah. so he he went and <laughs> yeah, wrote an right. alternate ending <laughs> why not recently i saw a a commercial for a movie and i i can't remember which one it was it was one of the movies that's aimed at uh like a, a younger audience like a teenage audience and um they said that as it comes out on uh, Blu-ray, that there's an alternate ending. And I swear to you, I had a, a gut reaction that says, no, that's sacrilege. You know? <laughs> and the problem is I've been in college for a long time and there is this idea. I was just you, like, don't change the text. No, no. See, that's the thing. It's like I, I've been in school for a long time and there is a kind of snobbery that settles in around that that says, you know, the art is the art and you don't change it. And what I'd like to suggest is that you know, just because there's a popular desire to change it doesn't mean that that is wrong or less quality. Um, and, and I think that we should be open to, you know, I mean, there's always going to be good art and bad art, like Sean said, but I think we should be open to the possibility that a new kind of art can be created where people do have more input in it. And then that brings you to kind of the ultimate. This shows you, I think, this indicates that the audience wants to be involved in the art and what better way to be involved than to actually get inside the mind and relationships of a character. Absolutely. Well, and I know for a fact, cause it was on, uh, was it on Gizmodo the other day, uh, that, uh, the designers, the visual designers for Mass Effect, cruise Deviant Art. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And it was Gizmodo. Yeah, it was it. Yeah, yeah. the the cruise Deviant Art to check and and see. Well, you know, they don't necessarily take any of that, but they do take it into account. What do you think she looks like? What are you like doing under with the, the characters? What yeah, are they doing? What other characters are they with? Yeah, what other characters what are they, are they doing? With? What are they doing? What do they look like under that hood? You know, what do you think they look like? They take it into account. Yeah. Whether they do it or not, you know, they, they use different things. But yeah, they're they, watching. They want to know, yeah. you know, so that's... It's like we know the BSG guys trolled forums during the, yep. you know, during, know in between seasons. And tried to answer some of the questions that a lot of the fans exactly. raised yeah. or problems I'm, that people brought up. I still hold they put a water cooler in that damn room uh, for us. <laughs> hey, there was a question that went very much along with uh, with this. Hi, Chuck, Sean, Audra. This is Bob from Connecticut again, because I'm not sure if my message went in because I, I face-dialed you, which is... Nowhere near as much fun as it sounds. Um, my call is about this great Mass Effect art that you guys are doing, long awaited, at least for me, uh, and uh, very, very much interested in, in 
hearing the, uh, the rich story that's, that, that's behind this, this game. Uh, my question for you guys, as somebody new to this franchise but long interested in, in jumping in, where is the best place to jump in? Uh, do I just jump right over one, head right into two, or do I lose too much of the experience and the backstory? Um, I, I get a sense for what the answer will be, but I'd love to hear you guys address this because uh, uh, you know such a long experience in a, in a sandbox hybrid like this. I uh, just want to make sure I'm, I'm getting the best that uh, the good folks at Bioware have to offer. Thanks a lot. As always, great podcast, and looking forward to listening to the rest of the art. Thanks. Uh, bye. Oh, and, and make Chromic for you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, awesome, Bob. Thank you for calling, Bob. If you are interested enough in Mass Effect to say that the arc is long awaited for you, and if you are, if you love Mass Effect enough to call in and ask that question, you need to start with one. Start at one. The yeah. technical answer is that they have done a really good job of if you just really, really, really want to jump in at two or jump in at three, you can. They provided you the resources to be able to do that you, without being completely in the dark. You can right, indeed right, do right. that. I would, I would strongly recommend going through one and witnessing the the I guess story birth of Shepard, participating and, in and it, participating, not just witnessing. Yeah, participating and understand why this universe is the way it is and why these characters are the way, and have your mark on yeah. that story, not yeah. just a, a selection and, and flipping a switch on a on a uh, uh, a selection of of previous decisions. Um, Go and make those decisions. Make them for yourself. Uh, understand yeah. why they're important to you. I, I would say from a devil's advocate perspective, in terms of gameplay itself, um, they've refined it over the three games. Except so yeah, if yeah. you haven't played them. Except if you haven't played them. Then you get to say, see an evolution of the yeah. game, which is okay. I mean, um, the the combat is, is a lot better. And even the dialogue tree is a, a more refined but as it's it not goes near along. As, I would say it's not near as bad as Halo. Like, if you want to play the Halo story until they came out with the CE 10th anniversary. Start at Reach! <laughs> definitely, because... Yeah. <laughs> The gameplay yeah. was just so so yeah. dated in one that it would like it was it was hard. Even if you didn't play those games, you played other games, modern games. Yep. I don't well, think it's that bad. But do I you? think one makes a no, good point. I, I, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think you're making a good point, though, because people people who are used to, you know, 2012 kind of action and, and feel in the physics of a game might notice a little bit of a lag in, in Mass Effect 1, which came out in what, 2008? Eight or something, but it's not like painful. No, it's not. It's not no, painful. No, I mean yeah. the the even even the storyline. The universe is slower. I mean, everybody's yeah, kind yeah. of in this lull, so it actually kind of makes sense. Um, I I don't know. I'd say if if you're excited that much about Mass Effect, you're playing it for the story anyway. So yeah, whatever. If, if you're playing for the story, start at one. If you're playing oh. for the gameplay, maybe two or three. Try try this. How much time have we spent talking about those major decisions that appear in the character creator in two? And how much time have we spent talking about punching the reporter, saving the, finding the body for the guy, doing the things? And what's that, his name? Werner. 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 Crap like that. We spent more time talking about that than we have talking about the big things. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of feel bad for the fact that I mean, we we got the good side of it um, in Mass Effect Three, where you get that option of being able to play it in more storyline mode, which makes it more accessible for people who aren't into shooters. Right. But the other side of that is that you get the mode where you don't get to make any decisions in the story, or less decisions, or something. Or you like just that. shoot your way through. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I kind of 
feel that people that play that way are, are going to be missing, missing out, out yeah. on, on what for all of us is the most important part of Mass Effect, which yeah. is the story itself yeah. and being part of that story and getting that emotional connection. And this totally. hasn't been a standard, totally. you know, like you, you can hear cast that do video game reviews and, uh, and Chuck's talked about this before, you know, it's all about gameplay and mechanics and, and how this, you know, how this works and how they made this faster, this better, how this gun is nerfed and this isn't. And that's in this particular cool. context, it's cool, but not as important right uh not near is to me it's not important at all but the the and i know it's i'm with you no it is but uh, the the part that gets me is just the overall yes. story and the characters uh, no they're yeah. they're what i come back for they're why i bought the special edition they're why i have that that lithograph you know and <sighs> and the you know the box that I, after i get done playing the game i'm gonna put the disc in a sleeve and cut up the box and frame the that's awesome next to uh, awesome Shep in the same frame and just mat around him and everything like that. And I'm going to have... <laughs> he this, remembered our name for him. That's awesome. You know. <laughs> Can we talk about the color yeah, of the Scott, game? Because this I, is no, like... No, no, yeah. no. This, this was a pisser. I went in to buy my copy and I didn't get to pre-order. I didn't pre-order. So I didn't have, you know, the awesome uh-huh. collectors. Yeah, so... You can't get the collector's edition now? Apparently or? not. I couldn't if find it. If you didn't it. pre-order, no. you couldn't get it. They so sold I, really? out of it everywhere. It's all right. Yeah. So I went to find wow. one and I pick it up. And it's Mal Shep on the front of all of them. You're kidding. Yeah. I did not and know now, that. And now Juan pointed out that, indeed, it's inside it. If you like, the, open it up and flip it inside, you can have it with yeah, the, 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 the page that it's printed on is reversible. On. After all really? of that, after yeah. all of that noise after about all how, that, like how proud we are of putting a female shepherd on. Oh, by you. the way, the one that we're going to sell ninety percent of them on, it's male shepherd on the front of it. And, yeah. and oh, we what we, a bold, progressive move to print in, the in fem, gender, fem right? on the inside of the cover that's not visible unless and, you and, un- undo your box and, and, and turn just, it around. It's simply just an art swap from what's on the other side. They don't even replace the in-game screenshots on the back, so it's still male shepherd. On the female shepherd, wow! Screenshots, you know, I'm, you get those little, little two little tiny like little postage stamp size screen. Yeah, the, they they basically just swapped out the front page and the and the top of the back page where where it's just the collector's edition is not like that at all. I mean, it I, has yeah. literally both. But I, I just I think maybe that's comes down to economics. I mean, I guess. I mean, you, you'd have to do. You something. can't print two copies of the game. Yeah, yeah. Just print one with the femshep on it. You know, I thought that's what was so exciting to me was that somebody was like going to have the balls to actually just do it. You know, to just just put the femship on the front of the damn box. Well, when it comes down to it, though, there are. I mean, I'm devil's advocating again here, but you know, there there are people that identify the first one and the second one and the third one all playing male shepherd. The reason I disagree with that is because nobody identifies with the shep on the cover because it's not your shepherd. That's true. So, as far as I'm concerned, I think. You know, we could make all these same arguments about the male shepherd. And and so I just feel like it was it was kind of a wuss out and I agree. for all the praise that we're lauding on them and I think they deserve every bit of it and I I believe me I'd be the last one to be I think the one negative is that they wussed out at the last minute and they yeah. put the male shep on anyway and I don't think yeah, I think that and, was lame and Chuck one of the reasons I'm with you on this also is that Bioware itself made a really big deal of saying yeah, that they were yeah. going to put a female shepherd on and went through a big voting process where everyone could vote on the hair and the you know the the facial look and all that stuff. This made news and not, it wasn't just audiences who were saying, Oh, look, they might have a female shepherd on some versions of it. It was no Bioware saying we're going to put femship on the cover. If they hadn't said that, I wouldn't have been shocked or I just would have bought it and not thought and, about it. But this, after all that, I was like, 
this made ripples in all of, you know, women gamers and people who are interested in this stuff. We've been talking about it for months and, and it was really, really exciting, you know. Being confronted with the wall of male Shep. The 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 Shep Sausage Fest. Yeah. At, oh, okay. At the, <laughs> at the at the Buy More, I was like, really? I mean, really? Well, geez, what I did is I I had, I took my lunch break on on Tuesday. Nice. Uh, went went over to the Buy More, picked it up, went back to work for the rest of the day, but still it's opened still it at work and went. <laughs> Let's swap switched. it around and switch it to yeah. FemShep here. Yeah, I'm going to do that too. Yeah, see, I, I feel about this issue like I feel about my country, okay? I live in the U.S. I love my country. I'm patriotic. But sometimes we do things that I don't like and I feel like it's, you know, my uh, my duty to say, I hey, hey. <laughs> I love this game. I'm going to play this game. I'm going to tell everybody to play this game and buy this game because yeah, I think absolutely. it's awesome. Absolutely. But you know come what I mean? on, come on, Bioware. What the hell? Exactly. I well, love you, but you but screwed this even up. Even on the collector's edition, the the you know because it's a tin box and oh, it's yeah. got the characters painted on it. On the front is Male Shepard, and on the back is Man Shep is on the front. Man yeah. Shep is on the front that of the, just the collector's edition. Disappointing. Tin, what, what was that? Ga- I, I can't remember the the game, but there was a game about five years ago that was released in boxed edition, sure. and it was the exact same game, but they had three different versions of it depending on. The, the race you preferred to have on the box. Oh, God, I do remember that. I, uh, I want to say StarCraft, but it's too old I, for I, it to be StarCraft. I don't remember. I remember there was a game like was that. Was it like you a could, Command and Conquer or something like that? I don't know, that, but it was I a big deal. I think it was, actually. I think was it, it was maybe... Uh, um, it wasn't Generals, the one after Generals. Uh, I, I don't know, but... But there was a game like that. And yeah, it, oh, no, it was Red Alert 3. Was it? I'm pretty sure it was Red Alert 3. Nice. And they, they, they gave you the... Um, the uh, the you the the you know the the humans the 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 aliens and I don't know <laughs> whatever they were yeah. whatever, whatever <laughs> they were yeah the, 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 the Russians probably right? I, I think I think you know? that maybe what I'm going to do is I'll look around online know. first to see if people are doing this already but I think it would be worth my time to to craft maybe a, a letter you know a, a very respectful letter but one to Bioware saying hey man I, I love your stuff and I've been talking endlessly about how great it is but this really was disappointing and i i hope that you know you'll speak to it or or something you know because i think that they need to know that people were disappointed by this move they sort of took all the credit for making a progressive move and then didn't really do it i'm with you i'm with you it's ducker the back of the bus anyway it was that was lame i think though either way they were they were gonna lose out on that I mean, the only thing they could have done is sell sold two no, copies of no, it. No, they could have just put FemShep on the cover. Why is that? Just and, and then the MailShep fans would have been pissed. It too bad. It would, but that's that's what <laughs> they were. Bad. No, no, listen, no, I know. Listen. But what I'm saying is that either way, they would have had. Oh, you mean someone would have been upset? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Then the easy way is don't don't say what they said. Yeah, and that's why say, it's jackass. If they had said, we're going to put FemShip on the cover, we're going to put you're, FemShip on the... Then you don't do it. You're right. Now you're in a position where you're going to piss. Just shut up about it and put what you normally put on the cover. And well, I wouldn't even thought about this. Well, right. yeah, but you'd have still... It we would have been, been screaming for FemShip on the cover. You would have still been screaming for FemShip on the cover. I, I, I don't think know? so. I, I wouldn't have been. We have since, uh, you know, since we covered... Mass Effect Audra had brought it up since I really want him to see you know put uh, a FemShep on the cover. Honestly, I mean, we've, we've said that before. Well, I got to tell you, I mean it's not fair. I got to tell you, right. I would have walked in. I I I still disagree. I mean, I think that one argument is like this big and one's this big. Yeah, you know, how it's is like, it not fair that MailShep gets on one, MailShep gets on two, and then if you well, know, it's not a matter of fair. It's a matter of yeah. the, the part that matters to me is that if if they had not said that. We might have said, "Oh, it would be cool to see FemShep on the cover." But when I walked into the store and I saw Shep Sausage the point Fest, of it is, yeah, is really the 
I guess the it was progress in that direction. It, At least they're it, thinking about it, it, right? It brought attention to it. Uh, it brought the, I guess, uh, I don't know the best way to say that, but it, it when people start understanding and start thinking a different way about who we put on the cover or what gender that, that gets or that it doesn't matter or anything, even though Mass Effect may have had a, a kind of massive fail with the Femship, wall of Femship and they everything like that. In it, they stepped but still, at least we're talking about it. We're talking about it. It brought attention to it. More people understand that this is not the only way it can be, and that in itself cannot be bad. Well, I mean, as well, you base it on the promotion on the first and second games. Right. It's just Male Shepard on the box. It's just Male Shep in yeah. all of the promotions, and and there, there were a, a lar- there's a large kind of discussion going on of like, well, the only real shepherd is the male one. That's- and you can play as a female if you want to. But And then, you know, Bioware is like, well, let's try to open this up so that we, we're we trying to make it important that it's not about gender. It's yeah. not about which one you're playing. But then the way that it's perceived is that they kind of took it as like, now Femship is the only one that's important. Yeah, and, and it, I, I think know. their original numbers were like 28% or something like that play a Femship, which I can't believe it's that low. But because I've never... four is, is pretty good. Yeah, I know it is, but I don't I don't play male characters. I'm completely the other way. So for me, it's, it's weird. But I mean, obviously, the numbers don't lie for them. But I... I can't believe there's not more of this in the industry and that it's not more important. I applaud the, the, I don't want to say effort, but I applaud the discussion. Yeah, no, I would. I would applaud. That, that they, they, I mean, even though they ended with massive wall of mass or, you know, massive wall of male Shep, I don't know. I I haven't been to the buy more in, I don't know, I think a year the proper or term like is Shep Sausage Fest. Yeah. I think that's, remember. <laughs> even though they ended with that, I was, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, come on. You yeah. Know, but, Shepage Fest. Yeah. <laughs> But I, well, the way the way I feel about it, and I think I think Sean is right to to say, yeah, you know, they they did something good in that they, you know, they contributed more to the conversation than anyone else has. You know, they took us a step further than anyone else has. I have to say, I still think that I I would have preferred that they didn't go in and really stir the pot, get us all talking about it. I think that they were misleading and it's possible that they never fully committed to that. It's possible that they never said that they would do it. Yeah, we'll never you know. know. We didn't say. Right, right. It comes but, but down to I, interpretation as well. And, you know, they could have probably done it better, like just start all the promotional material having like alternate cuts of, you know, the, some of the trailers have sure. femship in it as well. Um, they could have just started, you know, on certain channels will broadcast this version and certain ones will broadcast this version and, yeah, you know, so just do a better job without going outright and just blatantly trying to bring it up. Let's as vote a, on our hair color, yeah. you know. Let's bring well, it under fluorescent light and examine it. Right. No, and, you don't have to me, do that. You just have to get to kind of a better median. And and for me, I wrote this blog post a while back on GWC where I, I went and I researched all the leading female characters in games. And, you know, that was when the FemShep voting was going on and everything. And I talked about how Bioware was doing something really special, you know. And so I think it's just a, a matter of my expectations were dashed a little bit. It's not that they've done something wrong. It's that I they, agree. they didn't live up to my expectation. And I feel like they were misleading a lot of us in how much uh, effort they were going to put into promoting FemShep. Um, I don't think that anyone's saying that FemShep is the, you know, is the only true shepherd or whatever. But I'm glad that one mentioned um, that that thinking because whoever is on the box, you know, there is kind of an implied endorsement of that as the template. 
And, you know, even obviously anyone can play any shepherd they want, but there's an endorsement of the male template and, and that template of the male lead has been endorsed by 99% of all video games since video games have been around. And I think some of us got excited that they were going to do something different. I always they thought didn't that do Berserker, it as differently as we'd hoped, you know, I always thought that Berserker looked like he had a schlong. Who's Berserker? Remember Berserker, the arcade game? You no. ever played Berserker? You know, you run around and you shoot the robots and, and, and uh, you avoid the electric fences. I never uh, played Berserker. Nobody else plays The way he walks, I always thought he looked I, fine. Yeah, the, well, <laughs> the only other chick on a video game cover I can remember is Metroid Prime. Yeah. She was the only other one I can think of that was was the main character, and that's that's the only, you know, that's she was always female. But other than that, I... Yeah, and I'm not going to be like, uh, you Metroid, know... I guess, I'm not going to be a jerk you. about it or anything, but I... For me personally, I'm going to hold Bioware a little bit to the fire for that. I think Metroid Prime is, as far as gender is concerned in video games, I think it's more progressive than than Bioware has been. Well, it, it, it's 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 a fight on their side, no matter what they do. I mean, I I was looking at the uh, us. I can't remember what Mass Effect form, but I was I was kind of looking up that how does multiplayer affect single player and Mass Effect three thing, and I came across a few different articles about like why do they even let you customize Shepard at all? It should just be the male Shepard that's on the box. Wow. And there were people like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. All the way down. The the thing that I think is that that, this should not be an argument between like males against females. This argument should be inclusivity (laughs) versus exclusivity. It wasn't even that. It's like it should just be that standard white guy shepherd on the box. You shouldn't even be able to customize his face. Well, guys, we got to wrap this up so I can go play Mass (laughs) (laughs) Effect. <laughs> that's my endorsement. Also, I, I just Rainbow wanna, awaits. <laughs> that's right. I just want to point out for the record too, since Jennifer Hale was kind enough to uh, be to join the podcast and uh, and go on our friends of GWC list, I am going to refer to Shepard as she on the podcast from here forward. Sounds good. In honor of Jennifer do. Hale, awesome. <laughs> In honor of Jennifer Hale, that was really cool of her. Uh, just uh, some quick stuff uh, wrapping up here before I get around to everybody. Uh, number one, uh, Jennifer Hale. Uh, uh, is, uh, is, well, she is in a whole bunch of different stuff and you want to look around. She mentions a few things that you want to follow up with and make sure that you, uh, uh, you check her out. She's on Twitter primarily, she mentioned. Um, and, and I'm trying to remember the address. I think it's, I think it was Jennifer Hale, but if you, she mentioned it in the, in the interview, definitely follow her. We'll be doing that. And, uh, let's see, uh, Maggie Baird is, uh, is a musician as well. She has a great Facebook page that talks about what she's doing and everything. Uh, if you if you want to friend her, that's awesome. It's kind of fun to find because there are it's by her name and there are you know with any name in Facebook there are a lot of them right uh, with as many users there on Facebook. Uh, we uh, have friended her on the GWC page, so if you go to the GWC page, you can see her in Sweet. the relatively new list of friends. So you can you can find you her. You just put slash Morinth. I'd have been on. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was really cool of them to join us. Super, super awesome. And kind of hopefully, uh, uh, you know, gave everybody a little bit more enjoyment as they jump into ME3. And as as Jennifer Hale said, uh, I mentioned in the interview that she that there were a lot of people <coughs> sick this week. <laughs> You know, and she said that her hearts are with you <laughs> as you as you play through your sickness. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as so. your sickness plays out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, nice. exactly. Paragon or Renegade success <laughs> that it may be. <laughs> so, uh, Paragon Windsor. In, uh, in in wrapping up this week, Juan, 
Got well, anything to add? Th- thanks for having me on. Big, big Anytime, surprise. Sir. Yeah. Let me on here again. Never, never <laughs> letting you on, you're, sir. Always. <laughs> you're a more cast. I'm invading you all the cast. than I am. He is, yeah, he's a more <laughs> you're a more host than I am, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and check out Modern Geek. <laughs> <laughs> Pimping his cast. Let's say That's that. it. Who's his cast? Nice. Audra? Uh, check you. out F this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about pee. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> That's true. So. It's our new motto. Uh, Semper Uranus. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 that was the real name. Oh, of the yeah. I haven't put it out yet. I could do that. Oh, okay. nice. um, no, I just, I want to thank especially Juan for, for being here. It's oh, yeah. so awesome to have you here. And, and I want to thank you guys uh, for being willing to have really charged discussions that are really difficult sometimes yeah. because they're meaningful. And Indeed. I went to a, a little like impromptu conference uh, yesterday called that camp and you can look uh, read about it online. Um, but during the lunch break um, we were talking about different things and I talked about GWC and I, I talked about what makes the community what it is. And I was trying to explain to someone how it's equal parts, serious discussion and, you know, dick and boob jokes. And, uh, I am really, really immensely proud of that. And I know that sometimes in order to get meaningful discussion, you have to, you know, you have to charge in and it can be difficult, but I'm just so happy to be part of a group that can have that kind of discussion and have fun. So, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. We never struggle with that. No, no, (laughs) never, never. Sean. Uh, well, first of all, thank you to uh, Bob in Connecticut. Uh, oh, may, yeah. may Crown forsake you as well, sir. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, that, is, that is very cool. Um, thank you to everyone who's called in and, and uh, all the, the like super intelligent, reasonable uh, Mass Effect fans. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, very cool. Uh, can't wait for the meetup. And uh, I'll screw it. Ho- check out Wholesome Addiction. <laughs> Everybody pimp everything. Yeah, that's where pimp is. Check out Fit Smart. Fit Smart. <laughs> yeah. I figure everybody knows. Ah, it checks like everybody ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> dum, dum. Beep, beep. I don't no. have to pimp mine. It's it's ubiquitous. <laughs> Not so much. But I am unpimpable because I'm that cool. But yeah, but seriously, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Mass Effect, this arc has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Had a great time doing the research we've been doing. It was really fun to talk to uh, to talk to our guests, and it was super cool. Sorry, to I missed join that. Us. That's really ah, cool. hey, it happens. And uh, uh, meet up is next week. Woo! Really, yeah. really this week since it's Sunday. We're recording on Sunday. The Harbinger is here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Juan the is the harbinger. harbinger of the meetup. I got to figure out how to talk like a Reaper now. <laughs> Just talk like a Hanar. You do a good Hanar. <laughs> yeah, like, Hanar is good. So uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, look this week because you're going to be receiving some email from the lovely Juan about the Sunday podcast. Uh, we, we actually talked about this. Uh, he's been asking me to do this for some time. And we're finally at a point where we are able to pick a screening time for uh, for the movie. Everybody's going to need to be able to get their tickets and everything. So watch out for Juan, email from Juan about that. Uh, also, uh, live podcasts on Friday. If you are not attending the meetup, if you are one of the Miss Up crew and you want to hear the podcast, uh, mid-afternoon on, on Friday, Central Time, we're going to start streaming podcasts. Uh, I think it starts at 3 or something or 2. Yeah, and and, and uh, ch- check the uh, check the meetup site. The times yep. are in Central Daylight Time. Yep. Uh, we're switching d- to Daylight Time here uh, on North America. So and what, what people is listening the overseas. Yeah. What's the URL meetup for the meetup? Meetup2012.galacticwatercooler.com or just go to galacticwatercooler.com and there's a link on the 
top. Yep. It says Meetup 2012. Um, so yeah, live podcast streaming from there. Those will come out in the normal thing. So if you miss them, don't worry. It's not over. Uh, there will be a Twitter live Twitter feed in the room like before. So we're going to do hashtag the tags uh, GWC Meetup and GWC Missup yes. will be uh, displayed cool. in the room. So go for that. And uh, I think that's it. We'll uh, we'll see you next week live. On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producer Soleil, forum moderators Badgerspoon, Pike, and Frackentalos, GWC book club maven Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. We're always re-watching or group reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash Encoder.